0: And welcome to episode 113 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today, we are recording on January 7th, 2019. My name is Corey Motley. I'm a staff writer at GameCritics.com. I'm 50% of the show, and I am doing full-on NPR voice right now, um... So please excuse excuse me if that's not your thing, but here we are. Uh, joining me as always, the, the man who joins me for every single episode of the show, every single one, all of them, we're both in it together 100% of the time, is Brad Galloway. He is the editor at Game Critics. How are you, Brad? I'm
1: doing really good, man. I'm excited for the show. It is one of the shows I look forward to most uh, throughout the year. Very excited to talk about what we're going to talk about. I am also, I am living for your NPR voice right now. (laughs) I am totally, I'm into it. I'm waiting for you to talk about like uh, news updates Oh my and talk about the local scene. So when you get to that, I'm ready.
0: Well, part of it is because, spoiler alert, there is somebody sleeping in the apartment. So I'm trying not to be super loud, even though I know no matter, I could probably like whisper and it would still be too loud, but... Um, so, I'm gonna to try to keep it down for a little bit, um, see how it goes. Try not to let this harsh the vibe of the show, but here we are nonetheless. I'm speaking low and slow with my mouth close to the mic. Um, so, here we go. <laughs> this is January 7th, ready to roll. Um, like Brad said, this is a show that we look forward to every year because would you believe it? I feel like 2018 just started, but as a matter of fact, it just ended, and this is our game of the year. 2018 show. We have a jam-packed schedule for tonight. Lots of things to go over. Brad and I are going to warm up with some category awards. We did the same thing last year. Um, Some of the categories were actually chosen by all of you, by listeners of the show. Brad and I came up with a few. We asked for input. Uh, Some of the listeners came up with some, people on Twitter, so thank you for uh, giving us some categories to think about. It kind of maybe pushed us out of our comfort zone a little bit to think of some new things. Um, and then after that, we will move on to go through our top 10 games. And we will discuss after that some listener picks. Uh, Brad has been putting out um, the word on Twitter, asking people what they uh, what their top three games were, and then kind of a dud or a disappointing game for them. So we're going to talk about those as well. Um, But before we begin, before we jump into all that, just some general Game of the Year housekeeping, I think it's really important that Brad and I discuss sort of our ground rules for how we tabulate our games and how we think about the gaming process through every year. Because on the show, if you've listened to the show before, I think we've pretty much done the same Game of the Year format for the past couple of years. Um, we don't do a one single game of the year for the show. We don't sit here and debate each other on what should be game of the year, what should be top three or whatever. Brad and I literally just go back and forth. He does his uh, number 10 game of the year. I do my number 10, number nine, number nine, number eight, number eight, and so on. So we each have our own list and we just kind of talk through it. Um, not, it's not a competition. We're not trying to discredit uh, the other person's top 10. We're just giving our own top 10. Uh, and then we each have our own individual game of the year. But I also want to talk about some of the ground rules on how we sort of go through and choose our top 10 and how we do it individually. Uh, How does that sound, Brad? Did I leave anything out? No, we
1: are totally on track. I'm with you.
0: All right, excellent. So uh, I'm going to go first for some of my ground rules. Um, So for me... On my top, I, I try to keep a running list of every game I play throughout the year. Um, I did, I did, but way better for the past couple of years. This year, I kind of fell off and was lazy, but I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I only put games on my top ten list that are games I played and completed. If they can be completed, like if there's you know a beginning and an end of a campaign mode um, during twenty eighteen that came out during twenty eighteen, I do not include anything I did not finish. If it could be finished on my list, I also I do count remakes and HD re-releases on my list, but I tend to give them less weight um, because if I didn't, then Resident Evil Four would probably be my game of the year every year because it pretty much comes out on a new console every year, and that's just not—I don't think that's fair to other games. So I do include them if it launches on a new console that year, but not like heavily, um, not heavily weighted. Um, I also include games that launch on a specific console for the first time during the year. So for example, this year, I'm sure Brad's going to talk about this too, but this year we kind of saw this big thing happen where a bunch of like indie PC games that had been out for maybe one year, maybe two years, uh, maybe more, they started getting ported to Switch. Um, And so for that kind of thing, I would accept the Switch release or the PS4 release or whatever as a 2018 game if i had no way to play it before then because i know there's kind of a divide between pc gaming and console gaming um so if it like came out on, on pc in 2016 and then it came out on uh playstation 4 in 2018 i count that as coming out in 2018 um i don't know how other people feel about that but you can just deal with it because that's how i feel about it i still count it um, we do have a category award for best game that didn't that did not come out in 2018. So that'll kind of be our like way to address maybe a game that has been out for a year that maybe we didn't get to, um, you know, or something like that. Um, what else? I feel like that's everything I have to address that I can think of. I'm looking over my notes real quick. Um, Brad, do you have any input on my rules? Or in, and if you do or don't, uh, please state your own rules after you have the floor.
1: Um, the only thing I have to say about your rules is that you have a lot more rules than I do. <laughs> For me, it had to come out in 2018. And that's basically it. I didn't, I didn't need to finish it. I it, I don't care if it was released on another platform before. I actually got into kind of an argument on Twitter uh, with someone about that who was dead set on saying that if a game had come out on any platform in the past, that was it. It was It was that year. You can't count it again. And I'm like, number one, this is a totally arbitrary thing we do for fun every year. Calm the fuck down. <laughs> Number two, if I've never played it anywhere else and there's a brand new version of it in 2018, I count it. So that's that's where I'm drawing that line. That's basically about it. it had to come out this year. And if it was previously released, if it came out in a new version this year, I count that also. And I don't care if I finished or not. Um, I usually do finish them if they make it in my top 10. But I mean, maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. Who knows? And that's it. I'm pretty easygoing and uh, we're just going to roll with it.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I I guess now that I think about it, um, it would be maybe strange to give a game one of your top ten spots if you hadn't finished it. But I mean, we live in a strange world, so anything could happen. Um, so that's probably the biggest difference between our lists is that I must finish my game to put it on the list, and you don't really care. So that's not bad. Not bad. We have similar rules, except for I just have. More of them, I guess. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I also just want to give, before we jump into the award warm-up category, just sort of like a general roundup on how I felt about gaming this year. Because I felt like this game was a little... This year was a little bit weird for me, personally, for gaming. Um, And Brad, if you want to preface sort of like your general take on the year after I can, uh, you certainly may. Um, But I just want to talk for a second about, um, like, at the very, very, very beginning of 2018, kind of two... And throughout 2018, kind of two big things changed for me. Um, In January of 2018, I actually got a gaming PC for the first time. So that opened up, you know, obviously this huge, um, like, world of games because there's so much stuff on PC that's not available on consoles. So um, I spent a lot of my year just kind of seeking out some PC stuff that I hadn't played before, and a lot of it was old. And then about halfway through the year... Um, I got a virtual reality system for the first time. So I got an HTC Vive. um, I think it was like during the summer. I can't even remember. But um, so I got a gaming PC and then I got a VR system. So the weird thing about 2018 for me is I spent a lot of the year playing stuff that had come out in 2017 and 2016, maybe in 2015, just because I had these two brand new avenues that had pretty deep, um, you know, catalogs of games to play And so, I mean, I was looking at my 2018 list of games I had played, and I think I only played and completed like 17 games that came out during 2018, in 2018, which is weird because most uh, years I play and complete maybe like 30 to 40 games. So I played about half the amount of games I usually do this year um, that came out in 2018. And all in all, I played about 50 games, but so many of them I either didn't finish or they came out a year or two or three ago so it's just it was a weird year for me because because of the pc gaming thing and because of the vr thing i just ended up diving into this like back back catalog of all these old games and kind of jumping in playing them um and really i mean it's not that i wasn't paying attention to stuff that came out in 2018 but i just wasn't like i don't know like super duper like trying to play every single thing that came out in 2018 I just kind of played stuff as I found it you know whether it was old or new now that I had a PC and then I got VR and everything so um yeah just kind of a weird it's kind of the weird year for me of just like jumping into old stuff rather than just playing everything new that came out as it came out um and that's kind of reflected a little bit in my top 10 because I was telling Brad before the show um Like my top 10, like I have a top 10 games of the year, but I'm only like really super passionate about like four of them. And then everything else, like it's good or it was fine, but I'm not like, I mean, my number 10 game of the year, I'm not going to be like, oh my God, this is a game changer that everyone should play. Like my top four, I really stand by, but everything else I'm just like, yeah, like it was pretty good, but I could kind of take it or leave it. Um, you know, maybe that sounds terrible, but this just sort of reflects the strange year that I had, um. Brad, do you have any overall prefacing about your gaming habits in 2018 you want to talk about before we jump in?
1: I mean, not a lot. I think just the biggest takeaway for me was like it was just a really, really busy year. Um, I had a couple of big projects in real life that were not related to gaming that took up a lot of my time. Um, My wife started a new job and I'm doing a lot of support for her, um, you know, doing things for her, uh, kind of her. Uh, her girl Friday, I guess, uh, just getting stuff done around for her office and things. So I got a little bit extra workload there. Um, still doing the grind at Game Critics, which I love. So that's never going to change. And I recently became a stay-at-home dad, and so like my days—believe it or not—I actually got like a way busier once I became a stay-at-home dad. I'm sure most people <laughs> think I'm just kicking it on the couch playing games all day long. Totally the opposite of the truth. I got a lot busier. Uh, a lot less time to play. I actually had more time to play when I was working than when I was staying at home. So that's the honest truth. Um, so just, I mean, I think my biggest thing is just press for time. There was a lot of games I wanted to play that I didn't get around to just because I simply did not have the physical time to play them. So I played as much as I could, you know, and no one can play everything. I mean, it's been quite a while since those grand old days when a critic could literally play every game that was worth talking about, because that was a certain period in history. You could do that back in the day. That was a possible thing. It is not possible anymore. No single person can play every game that's worth talking about. So you got to pick and choose. I did the best I could. I missed some. Some I figured were not going to be my jam regardless, so I wasn't going to waste time on them. Some ended up being not what I expected, and so I wasted some more time there. Uh, You know, but you do the best you can, and here we are. I feel pretty good about my list, and, you know, there was a few more things I would have tried, a few more things I might have had on here, but, you know, life is short, we're human, uh, we just got to go with what we, we played, and, and my list is good.
0: All right, excellent. Well, without further ado, do you want to do some warming up with our category awards? I would love to do the warm-up category awards.
1: So, <laughs> shall I read... How do you want to do this? You want me to read the the, the award first and then tell mine or you want me to read it and then you tell yours, then I'll tell mine. What do you want to do?
0: Um, It doesn't really matter. How about I read the category, you say yours, then I say mine, and then we move on. Sounds good. Okay. Okay. So the first one we have is the biggest surprise of 2018.
1: Excellent. Biggest surprise was a pretty easy one for me. I choose Blackbird on the Switch. Uh, this is a 2D side-scrolling kind of shoot 'em up uh, which came out of, like, literally nowhere. Uh, the developers, I mean, they've all, I guess they're all industry vets, but their last game was Million Onion Hotel, which was kind of a weird tile-based, I mean, sort of like a match-three kind of a thing uh, that was on iOS, and it had absolutely nothing in common with Blackbird other than a little bit of similarity in the art style. Uh, and then their very next game is like this amazing side-scrolling shooter, which is both masterfully designed and super stylish and really intriguing and just like, wow, like what, where did this come from? And basically no PR beforehand. It just launched. I mean, I got a code in my email box. Didn't ask for it. It just showed up. Didn't even know what this game was. And it just really blew me away. I really love Blackbird a lot. So totally surprised in the best possible way. Uh, did not see it coming, but I'm glad that it's here. Blackbird is my biggest surprise.
0: Corey, what's mm. yours? I love a good surprise, and that um, that's obviously reflected in mine because that's the award here. But in, in the vein of um, being surprised because something came out of nowhere and you loved it is also the theme of my award, too. Uh, my biggest surprise for 2018 talked about this a while ago is the game north by outlands games hmm. and i know i bring that i feel like i brought this sh- this game up on like every like four shows since i played it um because like I, I literally was just scrolling through the psn store i just looking at new games there was i think at the time it was like three dollars or something like super cheap the logo tile for it was like this kind of like fiery red with like white sans serif font um that said north and I thought, okay, like, you know, sure, it's really cheap. It's interesting. Um, like, if a game is cheap and it's not on sale, that sort of obviously intrigues me to look a little, dig a little bit deeper, because usually stuff is like, you know, $10, twenty, thirty, forty, 30, 40, up to, I don't know, $100 on PSN or whatnot. So downloaded it. I talked about it a while back. This is actually a kind of a case of some of the stuff I was talking about earlier with ground rules too, because it came, I think it came out in 2016 on PC. So it's actually been out for a while, but it came to PlayStation 4, Xbox one and switch, I believe all this year. Um, and I'm really glad I played it because it's just a weird first person narrative adventure game. Um, a walking sim, if you will, it's very like, kind of like artsy and avant-garde. Um, after I played it, uh, I remember the show, it was either the show of or the show after, I went and looked at all of Outland's games games on uh, the itch store. And I played like four of them and came back to the show and, you know, talked about all the games I played. And these, I think it's just two guys that develop these games, but they're just like, all their stuff is just really interesting. And it's really kind of avant-garde and I played it on PlayStation 4 this year and then I played it on Switch later in the year and I actually discovered some stuff on Switch that I missed the first time that I played on the PlayStation 4 version. So there was like a little bit of extra, you know, sprinkling on the top that I missed out on the first time. And um, it's just a weird game. It's strange, but I like it. I like the art design. Um... It's just a it's just one of those weird indie games that I just really resonated with me. Um so that was my biggest surprise of the year. North on PS4. Um had no idea what it was, bought it for a few bucks, played it, and I just loved it. It's strange, it's interesting, it's like all the things I look for in sort of like my indie jank category. Um and it just kind of ticked all the boxes for me and I loved it, and spoiler alert, this is not the last time you're going to hear about this game on the show, so get ready for me to talk about it <laughs> uh, later, too.
1: That's what I love about our show, dude, because, uh, I mean, I love that we, you know, we're friends and we get along, and it's not, like, this kind of, like, douche bro argue <laughs> session every single time we record, but, like, our tastes are so different. Like, we do have some overlap, for sure. Like, every once in a while, we'll come across a game where we both really like it, but, like, I mean, this is, like, our first category, and I feel like the games, number one, couldn't be more different, and I think we'd like them <laughs> for different reasons. And it's just, it's just, I like that this counterpoint, you know, because you're going to bring up stuff that I probably wouldn't bring up ever and vice versa. So I love that we have this diversity. I'm glad we're starting off on it in a good way because I, I tried North, did not connect with it at all. And I know you really liked it all year. So I'm glad you brought it back up again.
0: Me too. Um, right. let, let's move on to, uh, we're going to go from the biggest surprise, which I guess was pleasant surprise. We could have done an unpleasant surprise, but I'm glad we both went in a positive direction. But we're going to go other direction now for the biggest disappointment of the year
1: oh god biggest it was a big one for me I'm, real I'm,
0: i think um i'm concerned you and i might have the same answer for this but you go first i i doubt no you do not have the same answer oh but I damn do. it okay Uh,
1: biggest disappointment for me was five years in the making. It was Below from Cappy Games. I was looking forward to this game for so long. I've mentioned on the show, this was one of two games that I bought my Xbox One for. I (laughs) bought my console to play this game because I was into Cappy Games. I had total faith in them. I liked the way this game looked. It it was a genre that I like. I mean, this should have been my jam. And I fucking hate this game. It is just not... It is not good. It is not good. We covered it on a previous episode. Not going to get into it here, but the art style, I think, is... It's kind of okay, but it's not very user-friendly. It's too dark, and it's hard to see. The game design left me really cold. Just this, There's no story. It just... Everything about this game just feels designed to, like, push players away. And I really just don't understand how it came out the way that it did. And after waiting all this time, it only had to be, like, mediocre for me to be like, yes, I'm going to play this. And it was, like, it was actively bad. Like, I just really can't stand this fucking game. So I'm just really, 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 really fucking disappointed. Um, So there is my disappointment of 2018 below. And it is a big one. Five years in the making. Oof. Man. Uh, I'm sure. Sh- I'm sure you did not have that one,
0: Corey. No, I didn't. But I thought for sure the one I picked was going to be yours. But I'm. I mean, I'm glad it's not because we have different answers. But. Um... I know this is going to resonate with you. My biggest disappointment for the year was The Fall Part 2 Unbound.
1: Oh, God. That is a good pick. That is a good, good pick.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's so disappointing. I literally think it's the the lo- lowest game on my list. Like, because li- I keep my my games in like a list of best to worst that I played through the year, even if it goes past number 10. I think this is literally the game I have in my last spot on my list of games I played in 2018. Because... I mean, you and I have talked about The Fall so many times on the show. You played it. So many times. Yeah. So like many times. You, I had never even heard of it, the first one. And the first one came out like three years or so years ago, and you played it. It's like a side-scrolling um, adventure game, a little bit of combat, um, a lot of like kind of strange puzzles. It's a sci-fi futuristic game. I mean, I don't need to explain it. If you've listened to the show in any capacity, we've probably talked about it on the show you listen to. But The Fall Part two came out. Um, just, like, not nearly as good in any way as The Fall. And The Fall was such a good game. And part two was this weird, like, character study about these, like, androids that you had to, like, transport your body into. And I didn't care about any of them. And it was, like, a bunch of, like, bad puzzles. And you're trying to help these android characters. And you're, like, playing in, like, the internet for part of the game. And it's this weird, like, Metroid-y, like really combat heavy stuff. And the game does not do combat particularly well, which was why in the first one it was good because it only did combat like pretty sparingly. Um Yeah, I just, man, the fall was so good. And then part two came around and I was like, wow, we were waiting like three years for this. Like, I really hope that they will like rein it in on the third one because I think it's supposed to be a trilogy and that, I don't know, they'll bring it back to its weird story driven sci-fi roots but i mean i'm not going to keep my fingers crossed but i certainly hope that the third one or whatever they do next is better than what they gave us for number 2
1: i'll tell you dude i did not pick this one as my disappointment of 2018 because i knew there was no way it was going to be good because the fall number 1 it's like a totally self-contained story even though the developers ostensibly meant it to end on a on a cliffhanger i mean and i guess it sort of is i suppose but to me It felt like the perfect ending to a perfect story. Like, I did not need any more game. And I was honestly curious about where they were going to go after that. Uh, Did not picture them going straight into the garbage. But like, man, (laughs) that the fall two was real bad. So that is a perfect pick. I'm glad you picked that one uh, because that was a really awful game and very, very bitterly disappointing for sure.
0: Yeah, it's like the Matrix Reloaded of video games. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ouch, ouch, It's getting personal now, folks. <laughs> all right, let's move on to... Um, I'm also maybe concerned that you and I all have the same pick for this one. Um, most overrated game of 2018. Most overrated game? I bet we probably will. And I'm sure this is where like
1: 30% of our podcast listening audience turns the recording off and just walks out oh the door boy. because... Most overrated game for me this year by a mile, by a mile is God of War. Like, I I just can't stand how many people are falling over themselves to proclaim it as like the next step forward in gaming, some kind of revolution in storytelling. I mean, just, you know, the best combat ever. Like, okay, folks, look, I mean, it's fine. I mean, I think if you go back and listen to us talking about it on the show, I mean, I think there is a wonderful eight to 10 hour experience in here, but unfortunately the game is like 30 hours long. It's just too much, too much flab on it. And I just, I really don't think it's that great. The story has some good points, but it doesn't really go anywhere that's really interesting. I mean, I think the connection between Kratos and his son Atreus is the best part, obviously. And that, that is, that is good, but it's not the entire game. A lot of busy work, a lot of fetch quests, a lot of repeat combat scenarios, a lot of just really boring, just fluff Filler stuff, and I just and the ending just made me roll my eyes like so hard. So, uh, it's fine, I mean, it's not terrible, it's not a train wreck, but like, I just I just I'm a little bit puzzled why so many people are rating this like their number one
0: game of like ever. So, that's my definitely most overrated for 2018. All right, well, I have two spoiler alerts here. One of them, uh, my most overrated game is also God of War. Um, however, that being said. This game actually shows up on my top 10 of the year list. What? So <laughs> oh because <my> <laughs> I know it's it's weird because like I I think this game is overrated, but I also think it's good. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's fantastic. I definitely don't think it's like a step forward in storytelling or whatever. But I think it's good. And like I said earlier, there's like four games on my list that I'm crazy about, and everything else is just like good. And so this is on my top 10 list. So, you know, surprise, you'll hear about this one later too, because I do think it's a good game, but I don't think it's every... I, I don't think it's, you know, like you said, the next, you know, I don't think it's a deep, super, like, you know, next step forward in storytelling. Um, I, I just, yeah, it's just so... The, the, the hype for this game... Has been so strange for me in 2018 because, it uh, like I I don't even want to talk about it. We talked about this so much like across like two or three episodes in the middle of uh in the middle of our show probably back in like June or whatever when this came out. So yeah, I mean, long story short, I think it's good. I don't think it's great, but I also think it was overrated. And I think the amount of, I mean, just to be clear the amount of abuse that Brad received online for simply (laughs) saying this game is not as good as everybody else thinks it is. And he didn't even review it for game critics. He was just talking about it on Twitter and kind of like airing some stuff about about the way he thought. The fact that somebody posed as an industry insider on a social media site, direct messaged Brad and tried to get him to talk shit about the game and the game designers in this weird, like, defamatory way to, like, turn it around and try to hold it against him. Like, I understand that there's a difference between, like, the game and the fandom, but, like, it's it's too much. Like, I don't... I, I just don't get it. It's too much, and that, like, that game is not... I don't understand... I just don't... I don't get it. I don't understand how there's that many people out there who... Would like go to that, to those links to like defend a good action game, not a great action game, not a fantastic action game. I just don't get it. But let's. It's it's
1: amazing. It is amazing to me that you brought that up because I had honestly blocked a lot of that out of my mind. Mm-hmm. I totally had forgotten that until you said it. But yeah, you are one hundred percent fucking true. People were impersonating people to try to like entrap me online to get me to say stuff that was off color. Uh, I actually had to work with Sony uh, to like clear up my good name because they were actually alerting me to people that were contacting Sony. Uh, Metacritic got in touch with us because people were uh, trying to get us off of Metacritic. And it was like this giant wave of like anti-game critic sentiment because, yeah, like you said, like at the time I just was talking on Twitter, I I, I eventually did uh, write a second review, a second opinion review, which is not scored on Metacritic, but it goes up on um, Game Critics. Like after the fact, I mean, Mike Susky, uh, not friend of the show, Mike Susky wrote the (laughs) main review Uh, but yeah, it was crazy. The lengths that people were going to, to try to get me in trouble or to embarrass me or to get me and the rest of game critics off of like all these sites, like to, to disconnect us from Sony, to disconnect us from Metacritic, to get us off of game ranking sites. I mean, people were just like out for, out for blood. And like, all we were saying was, yeah, it's a good game. It's not a great game. Uh, which is exactly what I said here. It's not a trash fire. It's not a terrible game. I just think it's like eight hours of of pretty awesome And twenty hours of I could really do without this. So, uh, yeah, man. Oh man, it's it's funny like how much I blocked out of that stuff. But now that you're talking about it, yes, that was a nightmare. That was a total, like like I remember coming home every day and like opening my inbox and being like, oh god, what's gonna be in my inbox when I get here? Who's gonna have a report for me? Who's gonna you know like what's gonna happen? Like for a couple weeks, it was fucking miserable. So anyway,
0: enough of that. Enough of that PTSD. Let's move on, shall we? Uh, Yes. So um overrated game out of here let's move on to the uh the, and these are our next three categories are actually come from people that listen to the show and from followers on twitters so friend- let me let me stop right
1: there for a second oh, i think we skipped yeah. one did on we? my list i have the best non-2018 oh, damn it game. do you have that on your one. list also
0: yeah i skipped it whoops um if i could read that would be more helpful um <laughs> yes okay so before be, we jump to be into, fair not a
1: requirement to be on the Soviet games podcast we never said uh literacy was a requirement
0: so. that's true we just have to be able to talk we don't have to read um yes sorry i even talked about this earlier and i totally looked right over it the best non-2018 game of the year so i reckon this is a, an award for something that we got around to playing in 2018 that did not come out in 2018 uh brad would you like to give yours um, I have kind of a double
1: category uh, award Ooh. here. I think the first one, I, I'm i guessing you're probably going to feel me on a little bit. Maybe not 100%, but I bet we're going to be in large agreement on The Invisible Hours. How are you feeling on that one?
0: Oh, yeah. I figured that would be your pick. It's not mine, but yes, that's that's a good one, and it did not come out in 2018. Love The Invisible Hours. We talked about
1: that one at length on this show, so please go back and list those episodes. I still have uh, great affection for that uh, that piece of work. I'm sad that I didn't play it in the year that I could have given it an actual award award, but still love the Invisible Hours. The second one is The Dark Side Detective on Switch, which I've talked about a couple times on the show. It is a 2D point and click, which is perfect for people who don't like point and click games, which is me. (laughs) Uh, Very funny, very clever, bite-sized sections, good sense of humor, Loved everything about it. Looking forward to the sequel, which got successfully kickstarted. So I am eager, eager for that one. But for me, The Invisible Hours and The Dark Side Detective. Corey, what, are, what is your pick or picks?
0: I have one pick. Uh, this is also, I mean, this could have gone up with biggest surprise too. Let's just put them together. This is my biggest surprise for a non-2018 game. Because in my journeys of playing old games on PC, I stumbled upon during a Steam sale this lovely game called The Pain Screek Killings, which is a first-person sort of, um, like, detective story. Like, you play a, I think it's, like, a police detective who there's, like, this uh, kind of subdivision area, this neighborhood uh, kind of town area that you get to walk around in. Um, It's been deserted. It's kind of cordoned off. Um, There was a murder that happened in a mansion in the back of the town, uh, like, years ago, and I think they're getting ready to, like, bulldoze the city and rebuild it or something like that. So, basically, it's just a first-person detective story where you have to go and sort of try to pick up the last trail you possibly can to figure out who murdered this person that was living in the mansion, and it turns into this big sort of, like, you. I mean, it's a lot of, like, it's weird because it's a lot of, like, reading stuff, and, like, normally I'm not on board for that kind of thing in a game, but I think it's because, the game like really upfront warns you about it. It's like, Hey, this is a detective story. We're not going to hold your hand. We're not going to tell you where to go. You basically just have to like explore this neighborhood and, you know, read these diaries and, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. And it it just turns into this like twisting, like soap opera web of like who did it. And then there's like, maybe there's multiple people that did it. And you get to kind of like uncover all of like everybody's secrets that lived in the town where they live there And we did, I'm not going to spoil it here, but we did do a spoiler section on this game in an episode a while back. And I mean, to top off like the, I I literally had like a notebook in front of me, like writing down clues, writing down notes, you know, uh, writing down stuff that I had found because the game only keeps track of so much of that stuff for you. So it really takes a lot of like alertness and brain power and memory to finish this game, um. But it also has one of the best endings I've ever encountered in a game. And I don't want to say what happens, but it was just, oh man, like thinking about it now just still like sends a shiver, uh, you know, down my spine. It's such a good ending. So Pain's Creek Killings, I believe it came out in 2017. Um, unfortunately, it was not ported to any other platform in 2018, or it would probably be like in my top five for sure. Uh, but that was my best non-2018 game. That's a good one.
1: I remember you talking about that. And I don't play anything on PC. But man, when you were talking about it, despite the fact that it sounds not at all like my jam, like you really got me fired (laughs) up for it. Like if it had been on PS4 or something, I would have popped for it immediately and given it a shot, even if I didn't think it was my thing. But the way you talked about it, the way you sold it uh, was very appealing to me. So that's a good pick. I'm glad to hear uh, that one coming back.
0: Yeah. And who knows, maybe one day it will be on PS4, Xbox One, Switch. There's nothing about the game that would keep it from being on those consoles, but it's just the kind of game where they pro- it's probably developed by like five people and you know they don't have the time and budget and energy to port it or whatever. But maybe someday it'll be out on consoles and you can try it. Um, but now, because I was getting ahead of myself earlier, let's move on to some reader slash listener slash Twitter follower um, categories. Uh, first up, friend of the show louis fietro um, asked us what our almost great game of the year was
1: oh my god ah oh,
0: thank you for suggesting this
1: louis because oh oh my god this was so almost great it literally caused me physical pain i know what this is you know what i'm going to say of course it could be nothing other other than subnautica this year because this game started so good. Like the first 25, 30 hours were like the best survival experience I've ever had in a game in history. So perfect, so enjoyable, so interesting, exciting, scary, fun. Everything about it was just like, Mwah! so good, so good. And then you get to the end game and it just totally takes a shit all over itself and it gets awful. Um, Up until that point, the game is pretty self-directed and things are... Uh, you know, pretty explore-y, pretty survivy, but it's not too hard. You can kind of just roll with it, and you get what you need. And things are coming together pretty well. Really good pace. Like it feels like you're really building up towards uh, the end of the game, and then it just takes this hard, jaggy left turn, where all of a sudden there are very specific things that you need to do, which weren't really a problem before the game doesn't tell you where to go or what to do for those. Once you get those things, you're going to have to go to YouTube. I mean, guaranteed, this is what I did. I mean, I basically had a YouTube window open for like the last 20 hours of this game, which is really disappointing. Um, But once I figured out where to go and what to do, got to do the thing, it was just one barrier after another, one annoyance after another, uh, one speed bump after another, where they just seemed bound and determined to not let you finish this game for whatever reason. Uh, It just really left a really bitter taste in my mouth. And I've got to be honest with you, this game was going to be probably in my top five up until I got to the end game. And then it just, it is not even on my top 10 now because the end game was so bad. uh, Just really frustrating, really bothersome, really annoying for no reason. Like no reason. I don't know why they made those choices. I don't know why they did that. But the first 25, 30 hours is like perfection. The last 15, 20 hours is garbage. Like it just really, <laughs> really, really bad. So Subnautica, I still love you, still much affection. You were almost great, but boy, you fuck that up hardcore. <laughs> Corey, what what was what was a uh, thoughts or or uh, do you want to talk about your game?
0: Um, I will just say that stay tuned for future shows because I played Subnautica a tiny bit over the weekend. I will try to play it a little bit more um, in order to like try to engage in an actual discussion on a future show. So I have played it a tiny bit, but when I say a tiny bit, I mean like. 20 minutes and about 10 of those minutes was me trying to figure out how the fuck to play it in VR because the game is not kind to VR users. And by that, I mean, it doesn't tell you anything on how to control it, how to do anything. So that was kind of like a slap in the face. But that aside, um, I'll talk about that later. Um, I I like that you went in this direction for your almost great game, because I kind of have a similar one where like the game was really fun for like most of it and I actually didn't even end up finishing it because the end game, it's not bad per se, but it just like kind of takes a turn that's slightly different than what the rest of the game is. Um, And I just haven't gone back to try to finish it. Um, My almost great game is Budget Cuts, which is a VR game on PC. I thought this came out in 2017, but it actually came out in 2018. I was looking up release dates for games I had played on Steam last night, and I'm glad I did because I would not have included this if I didn't if I hadn't realized it had come out in 2018. Budget Cuts is a VR um, exclusive game. I think I play it on HTC Vive. I think it's on. Um, uh, the other Oculus, I don't think it's on PS4, but I'm I'm not sure. Um, it's basically a game where you play at like a, some kind of like human resources company or some big like corporate, it's very cartoony, very portal-like, um, where you play in this like corporation building. They're taking all of their humans and sort of like calling them into the HR office, and basically they're like killing all the humans that work for the company and they're replacing them with robots. So you're, I think you're the last human left when the game starts. And it sounds really grim, but it's a, it's a hilarious game. It's really funny. Um, it's basically you just, like, sneaking around these uh, kind of cartoony offices, engaging in, like, stealthy shenanigans. And there's a big part of the game about, like, throwing knives, where there's like robots that control and you, like, throw these knives at them. And whenever you throw a knife and it makes contact with the robot, like, this ridiculous, like, stream of like, black oil will, like, fly out of the robot wherever you stab it. It's very, like, Kill Bill in that kind of way, where it just, like, gushes oil out. It's very funny, very well designed. Um, It's the kind of VR game that really makes you, like, move a little bit. Like, there's parts where you have to, like, crouch and lie on the ground and duck behind windows and, like, avoid, like, windows that are indoors and stuff. And, like, peek around corners and it's just got good like body awareness it's not the kind of game where you just sit down and watch it's not the kind of game where you're standing in one spot um you really kind of have to move your body but I don't want to spoil it but there's just like an end game scenario that kind of moves in a different direction and it kind of scared me to be frank um and I just haven't gone back to try it again Um, Do you
1: you mean like it was frightening to play?
0: A little bit, yeah. Like it kind of gets scary toward the end. Oh, okay. Okay. And it's like scary and difficult because the game is kind of hard, but it's not like unmanageably hard. But at the end, like it got scary and it got hard. And I was like, oh God, like this is a little bit too much. And it just kind of left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. And I haven't gone back to try it again. I guess I just haven't like built up the courage. Also, I've had plenty of other stuff to play. If it were like the only thing I had to play, I would certainly go back and do it, but... Um, I've had a full plate this year. Um, But yeah, Budget Cuts is my pick. Um, I feel like maybe if I went back and tried the ending again and just kind of figured out how to do it, it might be great. Um, But just the weird turn that the ending kind of scenarios take kind of turned me off a little bit. Um, So similar to Subnautica in, you know, our regard, you know, the first 90% is great. And then the last bit is maybe a weird game change or a little bit too much. Uh, But Budget Cuts is my pick.
1: Ah, so disappointing when that happens. Jeez.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's something to be said for, like, a curveball ending, but if it's, like, a difficult curveball ending, because, like, the Pain Street Killings has a curveball ending, and, it, and they, like, knocked it out of the park, but Subnautica and Budget Cuts, it was just, oh, here, you're playing game number A, and then number A, um, I know how to count. Um, and then, you know, oh, you're entering the endgame stuff. Oh, never mind. Here's this other game we're going to put in its place. Like, it's just not, it's not the right thing to do.
1: Agreed. Agreed.
0: All right, let's move on, sir. What's next? Uh, next up is the, this is from Zolbrod. I actually don't know who this person is um, on Twitter, but they have a couple of categories for us. First is the most progressive or thought provoking game you played this year.
1: Cool, cool. Um, yeah, thank you for sending this in Zolbrad. Uh, I've, known, I've known it forever. I, I mean, it must be through Game Critics. I don't know exactly where, but we became friends a while ago. So yeah, uh, definitely one of our Twitter folks. Um, most progressive or thought-provoking? For me, I kind of went with progressive, and I got to be honest, I kind of struggled with this category because I just don't feel like I played anything that really stood out to me this year in terms of being very progressive or very thought-provoking. And I'm going to answer this kind of on a technicality. I'm kind of cheating on this one. Um, so in terms of progressive, I think I'm going to choose Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which I only played for like maybe 20 minutes. I did not play it for very long, partly because my son stole it from me and took over and I just (laughs) didn't get a chance to play it. And partly because I kept hearing it was like a thousand hours long and I just didn't want to get into it. But the reason I'm choosing it is because you can choose between a male or a female character and they're both equally integrated into the campaign, which is great. Not, not super progressive, but what is progressive? is that not only is she, I mean, widely recognized as being the better character, more interesting, has a better voice actor, has, uh, you know, just more juice to her, but also uh, very many opportunities for uh, Odyssey to have uh, same-sex relationships and romance scenes. And I, you know, I haven't gotten that far, but everybody I've talked to has just fallen in love with Cassandra and just Odyssey in general for that reason. You know, it's so like queer-focused and queer-positive, but not like, you know not in a crazy like weird way just like hey this is just how life is back in Greece back in the day and we're just rolling with it and it's just (laughs) that's just a thing that happens you know so uh I am looking forward to coming back to it I definitely want to at least get far enough to see some of that stuff to see how it's handled I bet you Uh, do you know I do you know I do (laughs) uh so (laughs) but it goes both ways apparently the uh the the main guy I don't know what his name is but he can He can uh, hook up with the fellas. Cassandra can hook up with the ladies or, you know, any combination of which, whatever you want to go. And I think it's cool that a big company like Ubisoft decided to put that in because it would have been very easy for them to not do that. Nobody would have blinked twice at it. And, you know, games would have rolled on as normal. But for them to take that step, I thought was pretty progressive. And I look forward to, uh, I'm going to get into that sometime this year. I probably will not finish it because, like I said, I heard it's a thousand hours long. But I do want to
0: at least get to that part and see how that rolls out. So that's my pick.
1: Corey, did you have anything for progressive or thought-provoking game this year?
0: Um, I do have one, um, and I actually kind of like how I picked mine, because it's, like, kind of completely different than how you picked yours, um... My most progressive or thought-provoking, um, and I think I'm choosing it more on the progressive technicality and not so much the thought-provoking, is um, Florence, the iOS game. Hmm, Florence, um, yes, yes, yes. Florence, yeah. And we talked about this on the show way back, too. Um, and I think I'm picking this as most progressive in the sense that, I mean, not only do I think this is a fantastic game, but I'm picking it as most progressive because this is the kind of game that not only do I think it's absolutely fantastic, but it's the kind of game that I could like hand my phone to my mom who rarely plays games and she could probably play it just fine. She'd be able to understand it. It's like a universally appealing story that might mean something different to every person who plays it. But it's also easy to play on a phone. It's not, you know, you don't have to have a controller with two joysticks and 10 buttons in front of you. You don't have to have a mouse and keyboard with 200 keys in front of you to play it. It's just an easy to play game. So I feel like it's really progressive in that nature because I think there's a lot to be valued about games that, you know, games that you can sit someone down with that don't play games regularly who would still be able to just really take off with it. And, and not only that, but then have... A story that would be appealing because Florence um, which I've talked about before is a it's basically a game about a young woman who's kind of like coming to her own terms with life Um, she's kind of at a dead-end job she's not really enjoying her life and then she kind of falls in love and it's kind of just like her like love story about being a young adult and kind of experiencing like deep meaningful love for the first time and how it kind of like mixes up her life both in good and bad ways so Um, I'm awarding that most progressive just because not only is it a universally appealing story, but it's also easy to play. And I feel like anybody could play this and take something away from it.
1: Let me tag an addendum onto the end of your pick, because I think that's that's a wonderful pick. And I totally agree with the reason you picked for it. But I want to add something to that, because if you recall, we talked about this game quite a bit on the show. And not only that, the thing that really stands out to me in terms of maybe of being both progressive and thought provoking is that every single person who played this game had a very different read on what the story was. So like your interpretation of the story was different from mine. We had multiple people on Twitter who like gave their perspectives. I had my wife, Gina, give her perspective. Every single person thought the story meant something different. And so I think that's pretty interesting in and of itself because there's no actual like outright dialogue in that game. It's all about emotion, facial expressions, expressing ideas through the puzzles, which are actually pretty clever. Uh, And so I think that, for a game to be so, not only like, I mean, basically universally liked. I don't know anybody who didn't like that game, but to also be interpreted like a thousand different ways and all (laughs) of them are actually equally valid is I think super thought-provoking and also pretty progressive too. So I think uh, it's like a double winner for that reason.
0: Yeah, it really is because, I mean, because the game is about, you know, like sort of like love and life, it's kind of a game where, you know, whether it means to or not, it really invites you to like bring your own baggage to it. And based on what, you've experienced in life, you'll take something different out of it. I mean, unlike a game like God of War, where it's about slicing dudes in half with your axe, like none of us have sliced dudes in half with our axes, like, but we've all fallen in love and fallen out of love. And we've all been, you know, at a dead end job that feels like we're not going anywhere that feels like we're just kind of going through the motions every day. And so Florence really invites you to bring your perspective into it and then take something out of it.
1: I love how you said that. Like it invites you to bring your own baggage to it. That is such a beautiful phrase. That is, Stop. I mean, you should make a you should make a shirt out of that because I think that perfectly encapsulates exactly what is like the strongest part of that game. And not every not every game can do that. Not every, you know, I think that's a wonderful quality whether it's a book or a movie or a piece of music or a game that it invites you to insert your own experience and to process it through the lens of whatever it is that you're viewing. And I think that in itself is a pretty pretty amazing feat to pull off, no matter what type of media you're working with. And so for an iOS game. To do that and do that so wonderfully and so thoroughly, I mean, I think is really worth noting. So
0: good call. I like that phrase, dude. I'm going to steal that from you. I'm going to say that I made (laughs) that up. It's a good one. All right. You have to pay me like 25 cents every time you use it, though. All right. I'll keep track. Keep track of my phone. I'll send you you PayPal. All right. Well, our last, our final uh, category, which is also brought to us by Zolrod, is uh, our best character K- K- character our best character and or story from 2018. Excellent. Uh
1: this one is kind of a, kind of a weird one for me. I do mean it legitimately though. Uh but I I I kind of struggled to come up with like a game that had a great really memorable story for me this year. Like I mean, <laughs> when you get to when we get to our top 10, like a lot of those games are not really story heavy in the sense that we that listeners might expect us to talk about. So for me the best characters and 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 even the story, I guess. So Death Road to Canada. I really loved uh, that game a lot. It's a uh, 2D, kind of a weird perspective, top-down, sort of a roguelike, where you and a friend start off in Florida, and you need to get to Canada because the uh, United States is covered in zombies, and you think that Canada will be safe because they have beavers and maple syrup and mounties and (laughs) hockey. So you need to get to Canada. and, and, And as you go on this road, it's very much like Oregon Trail, if anybody's familiar with that from back in the day. But the reason I picked it... Well, not only was I think the story kind of funny, like just really interesting and goofy and lots of little funny things happen along the way because it's procedurally generated. A lot of stuff is randomized. And so you end up having a lot of like really funny, oh, this happened to me. It didn't happen to you, but it happened to me. And oh, what happened to you? And that's interesting. That didn't happen to me. A lot of those like kind of like emergent story beats. But the characters I thought were the best because in that game, people's personality traits translated into actual gameplay mechanics. So like if you had somebody who was, you know, really friendly or something, then they would get along with people you met on the road, but then they're also more susceptible to being taken advantage of. Whereas if you had somebody who was like paranoid, uh, it was hard to trust people, but then you were always, you were never caught in a trap because you always were thinking ahead and like you were always problem solving and always looking for an escape route. And so you had all these different personality traits that were also gameplay mechanics at the same time. And those together kind of gave me a really interesting view onto these particular characters. I thought it was, Really well put together, really fun. And on top of that, there were a couple of very recognizable characters from other properties. My favorite being uh, probably Jason from Friday the 13th. He shows up as a character in this and you can uh, pick him up on the side of the road and he can join (laughs) your party. He's very quiet. He doesn't talk. He's extremely strong. So you can mow down hordes of zombies with him. No problem. Got this giant machete. But every once in a while, one member of your party will just disappear and you don't know what happened to them so it's a risk you have to take it's cool to roll with him but you know you might not make it there with all your friends so i thought that was also incredibly hilarious all not story uh, and characters in the traditional sense but for me a very interesting and extremely enjoyable uh interpretation of that so for me death road to canada Corey, best characters and or story
0: um, I went with the character route with this one, not the story route. So I have a best character and may this maybe will be left field um, as well. But as soon as I read this, I knew exactly who I wanted to pick for my best character of 2018. And it is none other than Connor, the android sent by Cyberlife from Detroit become human.
1: Oh, uh, okay.
0: okay. I, I haven't I, played
1: that yet still. So I, I, I got to catch up. I catch up. <laughs> tell me, tell me more.
0: I mean, the game is is all right. I'm not going to say it's great. I think it's another one of those games that starts off pretty well and then just kind of gets lamer the more you play it. But Connor is... So Detroit Become Human. Um, this came out pretty early in the year, so I feel like we haven't talked about it in a long time. But um, you play as three different characters in it. You play as... And they're all androids. There's one... Uh, there's a white woman, a black man, and a white guy. And Connor, who has like above and beyond the most interesting story in the game, he is sent by the android company to sort of like investigate defective androids who might be violent or who have murdered somebody or something like that. So it's sort of like a Blade runner kind of thing um, that I really liked. And honestly, if they just made like a Connor story, I feel like it would just stand alone on its own because his scenes were always the most interesting in the game to me. But what I love about Connor is because he's an android and because he's sent there to do his job, He's just this really kind of, like, happy-go-lucky, like, kind of seems like an airhead, kind of seems, like, oblivious to what's going on, but you know he's really smart because he's, like, an android, Um, but he, like, shows up to—it's, like, the Detroit Police uh, police Department and— Um, His partner is this, like, grizzled old cop who's, like, an alcoholic who doesn't like androids, and he basically is one of those people who's just, like, really down in the dumps and kind of hates their lives, and Connor, like, shows up with his, like, bright, perky eyes and is like, oh, I'm the android sent by CyberLife, and, like, no matter what his partner tries to do as far as, like, being, like, a jerk or being an asshole or whatever, like, Connor... I mean you, he just stays so positive and so upbeat and it's kind of funny cuz it's just like it makes him seem kind of dumb like those like people who are like so positive that they seem kind of silly um he's just like one of those guys but it was just like so refreshing and like a silly way to just have him be so like happy-go-lucky and so like fun and I mean there's like grim stuff that happens or can happen to him over the course of the game but like you can choose to keep his attitude very like positive and upbeat and I kept trying to make him like become really good friends with his detective partner even though he was like this old grizzled jerk and I just really liked him I think his voice actor is great um, just the way that he sort of breathed life into that character he's, he's just a lot of fun and he's so silly but I just re- I really like him I think he's a great character and he has like by far the best story arc in the game too so um, that makes it really good too but he as soon as I read this category the first person I thought of was Connor the android sent by cyber life he is the best
1: Excellent. Well, I'm sorry that I have missed out on Connor so far. I do have a copy of uh, Detroit. I think I picked it up for like $12 or something. And I'm like, oh, it'll be worth it just to even go through it once or whatever. But I just have not made time for it. It's kind of funny that that game was hyped for quite a while. uh, And it just really disappeared like immediately (laughs) off the radar once it hit. I mean, I heard a lot of people say it was goofy or dumb. Apparently, there's a lot of the trademark David Caget off-color stuff in it. Uh, So I can't speak for that myself. And we talked about it on the show. Folks, if you want to go back, you can hear Corey's take on it. But I will get to it at some point this year. You know, first quarter is probably going to be pretty slow. So that's going to be my catch-up time. And I I will look forward to uh, getting to know Connor.
0: Good. I have a feeling you might probably won't like this game a whole lot. But if you play it, I definitely want to talk to you about it because... I mean, I played all of it and it's it's not enjoyable the whole way through, but Connor is the best. <laughs> all
1: right, well, I will circle back. I'm sure that we will talk about it because, I mean, that's kind of what we do on the show. So I will 100% bring it up. Uh, don't know when, can't make your promises, but I'm sure I'll get to it at some point this year. So that's all of our extra bonus categories, is it not, sir? I believe that's it. Excellent, excellent. Let me take this time to kind of hijack the show. I wanted to give a really quick special thanks before we move forward to uh, Twitter user 8BitWiz, who posed the idea to me uh, as I was struggling with my top 10. Uh, and just to kind of give a little bit of backstory to this, uh, I think I might've mentioned this before, and I know I, I told you this, Corey, but for most of the year, I only had like maybe seven, I think it was like seven or eight games on my top 10 list. I just could not find anything to fill that last couple slots, right? The last two or three slots. So I just was like having these empty slots and then fourth quarter rolls around and that's when every game in existence uh, hits at the same time. (laughs) And I ended up with, I think, like 12 games that were all contenders. And I was kind of talking about it, just kind of talking to myself on Twitter. But, you know, people were chipping in suggestions and stuff. And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And 8-Bit Wiz was like, you know, fuck it. Just have, have a top 12. I mean, who cares? It's totally arbitrary. And it's just not, you know, it's not a law or anything. Just do whatever you want. And I'm like, oh. I suppose I probably could do a top 12 and nobody would really care about that and that would be fine and I wouldn't have to pay any fees or get a permit. So that was a really great out-of-the-box suggestion from 8-Bit Wiz. So thank you very much for that. Appreciate that. Um, comically though, uh, the two games that were really going to push me over my 10 game limit ended up naturally falling off of the list before I could include them. So I did end up with a an organic top 10 because the two that got disqualified were Subnautica, which I just talked about as the almost great game because it craps itself at the end. And the other one that was almost going to make the list was Mutineer Year Zero, which I talked about at length here on the podcast before, mm. which again, another game that started off really, really, really strong, uh, just didn't have enough to it. It just repeated the same kind of gameplay, didn't have a good balancing at the end. Uh, it had a bunch of other problems and I just got really bored of playing it. And so it disqualified itself. But those were the two that almost gave me a top 12 this year, but the, neither one ended up making the cut. So thank you, 8 Wiz, and maybe I will do that in the future, but this year I did end up with a natural top 10, but uh,
0: appreciate the out-of-the-box thinking. Excellent. Well, um, is that your honorable mentions out of the way in order for us to get onto the top 10 then? Sure, sure. Do you have honorable mentions or is it just me this year? Um, I don't. I think we both did last year, but I didn't even really think about it, probably because I feel like my top 10 list is so weak, which makes me sound like a great video gamer. Um, But yeah, I don't really have anything extra to mention. Everything that I played that was worthy of being in my top 10 was stuff that did not come out in 2018. (laughs) So I already talked about some of those a little bit. Um, But shall we move on to our official top 10 of the year?
1: Well, whoa, whoa. let me do the honorable mentions, and then we will do the top 10. Oh, okay, okay. But yeah, I make, it makes sense you don't have any this year, because I know this was a weird year for you, as you said at the top of the show. You know, you didn't play as much as you usually do. So that makes perfect sense. No big deal. Uh, you are totally excused this year. But I expect you next year. Honorable mentions, sir. I'm going to expect it. I'm going to write oh, it down, boy. make a note to myself. Uh, honorable mentions, just really quickly. want to get these out of the way. Uh, first one, Shadow of the Colossus, the PS4 remaster. Uh, really beautiful. I'm glad they brought it back. Uh, it just didn't fix some of the gameplay problems that I think the original had. And I know that there's a big question of how much do you fix before it becomes a new game? We're not going to answer that here. Uh, but overall, definitely worth playing. Really liked it a lot. Almost made the top 10, not quite, but Shadow of the Colossus is a good thing. Also Death Road to Canada, which I just talked about. Also Blackbird, which I just talked about. Uh, Minute, I think is also worth an honorable mention. We talked about that on the show where you have 60 seconds before you die and get sent back to the beginning. It's kind of a Zelda-like adventure game. Very, very clever um, how many things you can get done within one minute. And then there are all these little shortcuts that you unlock that let you do more and more while never really getting away from the 60 second limit. Very clever. Altogether, I think it probably takes maybe between three and five hours to finish. So imagine playing a three to five hour adventure game in one minute bursts. <laughs> and it's, it's really something else. It's really something else. I really like Mid a lot. Last honorable mention was Vampire, which we talked about a lot at the beginning of the year. Did not make the cut for various reasons, probably most of that due to a couple instances of shaky writing, and some of the boss battles were just really very close to being completely busted. Uh, but overall, I really like the approach. It's like you're playing a doctor who becomes a vampire in World War I London, and you must get to know people, and as you know them, you can decide either to eat them and grow stronger or leave them alone because you like them. And like the balance of being a good vampire and weaker versus a bad vampire who kills people was an interesting one. And I think overall, the World War One setting really did a lot for it too. So it did have some problems. I ended up uh, a lot cooler on it than I thought I was going to be, but I still like it a lot. Still worth an honorable mention. And that is the last one on my list. So I think
0: we're probably getting ready to hit the actual top 10, man. What do you say? I think so. We are one hour into recording, and we are now approaching the meat of the show. All right. I think we're making good time, actually, to be perfectly
1: honest with you. I think (laughs) we're doing good.
0: I think we're ahead of schedule. Oh, boy. don't Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, (laughs) All right. So basically, what we're going to do now is just go through our top tens. One of us will say our number 10. The other person will say theirs. We'll kind of discuss it a little bit, why we chose it, what we liked about it, and then move on. Uh, Do you want to go first with your number 10? I will go first, but I will throw something out there. I suspect that there is not going to be a
1: lot of overlap with our games. I bet we're going to have a pretty diverse and varied list, but I'm guessing there might be one or two that might be the same. So if we, if I read off one that you have that is higher on your list, for example, I believe that's going to happen right now. My number 10, I bet is much higher for you. So let me name check it. And actually, I stole this from the Gamers with Jobs podcast, so credit to those guys for this idea. I think it was a good idea. This yes. is not my idea. Giving credit where credit is due. Um, but when when I read off mine, if you have it higher, just say that, and then we will we will both discuss when we get to wherever it is
0: highest ranked. Does that Ooh, make sense? Ooh, this is good. This is a good... Mm, I like this. Okay, yeah, this is good.
1: Okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's do that. And uh, so let's just be, uh, you know, if that
0: happens, speak up and we'll just do that that way.
1: My number 10, my number 10 of 2018, the first game on my official top 10 list, Hitman 2. Ooh,
0: you know that's on my list and it is much higher than number 10.
1: That's what I figured. So we will <laughs> we will move on to your number 10 and we will discuss Hitman 2 when we get to it uh, on your list.
0: Yes. Okay. I'm like a little disappointed that it's so far down on your list, Brad. I'm a little sad about that, but we can talk oh. about it later. <laughs> oh, oh god
1: i feel bad now
0: <laughs> <laughs> no we're each entitled to our own top tens uh, my number 10 i also suspect there will be two games that we both have on our top 10 um however both of mine are not they're pretty high up so i don't think we'll encounter that for a little while um my number 10 is a pc horror first person narrative adventure game paratopic Ooh, interesting okay please continue I would love to. Um so Paratopic is it kind of like is one of those games there's like a handful of games every year that just make like that come out of nowhere that just like make kind of a big splash and like uh like, I'm also thinking about, like, Virginia was one, like, a couple years ago that did yep, this, yep, where it yep. came out of nowhere. Everybody played it. Everybody loved it. And then everybody forgot about it two weeks later. And I feel like Paratopic <laughs> is very— And I mean, like, I'm sorry. Like, that's a rude thing to say. But it's, you know, people— it, the No, game,
1: dude, you were telling the <laughs> truth, man. You're 100% dead on. That is not That is not incorrect.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like Paratopic is the same way. It's like it came out on PC. Um, As far as I know, it's PC exclusive still. I don't know if console versions are in the making. I think this game was made by like three people, so it's really small. It's this weird first person looks like a PlayStation One game, which I think is cool because it's like dated and kind of like a creepy way. Um, It's not you know God of War graphics. You play as, I think you play as two different people, and it's like, the story is so vague, but it's so interesting that I can't, I don't even know if, I think you play as two different people, and it's just, like, weird, I don't even know how to describe it, like, you have conversations with people, and there's this whole, like, conspiracy about, like, videotapes, and people are, like, using them as drugs, and there's, like, this, forest area where like maybe people are getting kidnapped and there's just like a lot of weird stuff going on and it only it's only like an hour long so it's short it's sweet it's just eerie and kind of surreal and very strange i haven't really i mean i heard about it when it came out and it made a lot of waves but then you know like kind of like virginia i haven't really heard about it for the past few months but i liked it um very interesting creepy uh just a strange little game very up there in my like indie jank category. So that is my number 10 for the year.
1: That's a good pick. And I, like I said earlier, I think you were 1000% correct because for like a solid, like nine days, all I heard <laughs> about was Paratopic on Twitter, like 24 seven from every single critic. That's all they were talking about. Could not get away from it. I you know, this, seriously, it was in your face all the time. And then boom, Gone. Haven't heard a peep about it since then. So I think you were entirely, entirely correct. So, well, good I pick, didn't though. forget I... about
0: it. So I'm, I'm here for the Paratopic team, even though it's my number 10. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it made the cut. So that's good news.
1: Yeah, I made the cut, man. There's nothing to be ashamed of there. That is a, that is a great honor. So congratulations, Paratopic team. And uh, if it does hit console, I will definitely check it out. Excellent. All right, let's move on to uh, number nine. Uh, you want me to go first? Go for it. My number nine for 2018 is The Council. Do you have that on your Uh, list?
0: Like, no. It's like... No. Oh, not even on the top 10. Okay. All right. That's fine. uh, Yeah. I think uh, The Fall Part 2 is my least favorite game of the year, and I think The Council is one notch above it. Oh, man. That is so disappointing. (laughs) That is so disappointing.
1: I know why you don't like it, but uh, that's still so disappointing. Okay. Let me get to why I liked it then. Number nine for me, The Council. Five-part, episodic, telltale-like series which was kind of about the illuminati sort of and you play a character who is on this like remote island with all these famous uh, people from actual history and the thing that i liked about it was because it really turned uh, the telltale genre on its head i think that genre has gotten really stale lately um i mean you know not taking away anything from telltale because they really did breathe some life back into it but they got pretty complacent pretty quickly and the cancel shows that there is a lot of room to grow in this genre. I mean, they put in an RPG-style skill system. You could uh, level up your character in different ways, and those choices really had like pretty significant, pretty significant consequences. Um, it closed some options to you, opened up some other ones. Uh, there was many different endings, and the way that the game quicksaved all the time really gave a lot of stakes to it, and so you really were like kind of on the... Um, I mean, for me anyway, I don't know, if, maybe not for you, but for me, <laughs> uh, kind of on the edge of my seat about every time I got into a conversation, it was really stressful because it was like, oh my God, I got to get this right because if I fuck this up, there's no way to undo it. And you got to really use your head. The puzzles were a little bit too hard. Uh, puzzles were definitely a little extra in some ways. And uh, some parts of the the story didn't really come together for me, like episode four and five could have done with a little trimming. But overall... I loved the main character, Louis de Richet. I liked him a lot. I liked just the the ambiance, the atmosphere, the visuals, the style. Not a perfect game, but very, very interesting. I really liked many parts of it. And I think it shows that the Telltale-like genre uh, has lots of places to go. It does not need to be so stagnant. And I think this was a really great stab at pushing that genre forward. So that's what I liked about The Cancel.
0: Would you say that Louis de Richet was your favorite individual character of the year? He might have been.
1: I mean, he might have been. If I had to pick one, now that I'm thinking about it, I, I he would be really close to the top, because I ended up really liking him a lot. That's true. Louis is mm. a pretty
0: cool dude. He is, and he does accents so well. He does. He does. Uh, say, say Napoleon Bonaparte for me. No, Bonaparte. I'm not going to say it.
1: <laughs> oh, you said it so good, though, man. I got to put that on my ringtone for my phone. It's good.
0: No, I cannot. I'm not nearly the voice actor that Louis de Riche's voice actor is. Um, anyway,
1: folks, go back to when we talked about the cancel. Corey does this really awesome accent where he says, like, Napoleon Bonaparte. and It was fucking amazing. So go back and listen to that. But <laughs> enough about the cancel. Corey, what is your number nine for 2018?
0: Uh, my number nine... So, like, fair warning. There's, like, quite a bit of, like, weird indie stuff on my list, which I think is cool because it doesn't get spotlighted a lot in other places. But um, number nine on my list is... I just talked about this, like, a couple... Like, two or three shows ago is a VR, short VR game called Paul Paul. Um, Oh, yes, Paul Paul. Paul Paul. I remember. Who could forget? Good old Paul Paul. Um, This is a short, I believe it's supposed to be uh, multiple episodes, but the other ones are coming later. Um, I think it's another, I feel like I'm going to say this, but half the games on my list, it's one of those games where I think like five people developed it. I don't think it's a big team, Um, but it's just this weird like first person VR game where you play this guy who's like, kind of like prepping he's like a scientist and he's prepping to go into space for the space exploration thing and there's like a chapter where he's in his apartment there's a chapter where he's in the space station and like the the, like his like space his space apartment if you will and like the way that they handle the the sort of like space in the space station, be go down as one of the dumbest things I've said on the show, um, just, like, really impressed me with the way they, like, designed the level of it. And there's also no shortage of just, like, weird stuff going on in it. Like, it's one of those games that were super up my alley because it's, like, short, it's narrative, but it's, like, vague, so you kind of, like, don't really know what's going on. And I always feel weird whenever I recommend these games because they're the kind of games that re- I can really get down with. But if I handed this game to, like, 30 people. I bet two of them would be like, yeah, this is great. And the other 28 would be like, what the fuck is this? So it's weird for me to recommend, but Paul Paul, I like it. I think it's really cool. Um, I hope that they, I don't know how they're funded or whatever, but I hope that these people continue to make more chapters for it and that it, like the story sort of solidifies more as it goes on. So I'm definitely looking forward to what they do next. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I remember you seemed pretty up on that one. Um,
1: I have not tried it and probably won't Get to it for a long time, if ever. <laughs> but I definitely, definitely can feel the love there. Uh, so what do we have to number eight? Correct. Number eight. Number eight. My number eight for 2018. Unravel two. Uh, I don't hear anybody talking about this game at all. But I loved it when it came out. Um, this was the sequel to the first Unravel from a team of I think I want to say Swedish developers. Here I go again <laughs> talking about that part of the world. I can okay. never get away from it. Cannot get away from it. Um, But anyway, this is the the game about a little yarn character called Yarny. This time he has a friend who I guess is other Yarny, Yarny part two, uh, whatever. Uh, But it's two of them together this time. And you go through these 2D platforming action real-time puzzles. But the world is like stunningly beautiful. Like it's almost photorealistic at times. And they're out in like the woods and these rivers and... You know, like they're near animals, and there's it's just it's so gorgeous looking. It's just it's really stunning the way it looks. But the best part, and the thing that I think is really interesting, is that while the story was kind of a fail for me, like they tried to do this evocative, emo sort of a thing, it just did not connect with me on any level. But (laughs) the gameplay uh, was so cool because you could play it alone, which meant that you controlled one yarny at a time. They're actually connected by the same piece of yarn, so like if you. You know, there's like one yarny, and then there's a little piece of yarn hanging off his back, and then that one goes up, and it goes into the next yarny. So they are basically one long giant piece of yarn, but it is twirled up into two separate characters, if that makes sense. So you're controlling both at the same time. If you play this game by yourself, you control them either back and forth, and the controls were really spot on. It was very easy to switch back and forth, and to get them to do what you wanted to do. They also included like a lot of like you know having one person hold while the other person swung. Uh, you could also combine the two, like twirl all the yarn together to put them into one yarny if that was easier to control for certain parts, which was brilliant. Um, and the thing that was really staggering was like, it was so easy to do that as one player, but you could also play it just as effectively with two players. I played through the entire campaign with my wife. We each had one yarny the whole time. And it was a very different experience. Like Controlling it with, with one uh, one person is much different than controlling it with two. But it was like both ways were really interesting and really fulfilling and they both pose like slightly different challenges because with your partner, it's about communication and teamwork and thinking about things on the same level when you're with, you know, by yourself, then it's like, you know, managing two characters on your own. What is the proper sequence of steps? Uh, not an easy thing to do. I don't, I really can't think of many games that have ever done it uh, to in general and also not nearly as well as it's done here. So staggeringly beautiful in terms of graphics, really great gameplay, very fulfilling to play. I enjoyed Unravel 2. From start to finish, and this is one of the very few games where we did everything in it and just totally like front to back, did all the challenges, did all the extra stuff, and we just really had a great time doing it. I, I don't do that very often.
0: Uh, but this one was just a joy to play. So I had nothing but good things to say about Unravel Two. And I had totally forgot that this I mean I didn't play the first one, I didn't play this one, but I forgot that it came out this year. So right you are about people not talking about it, because I totally forgot about it. It is
1: utterly forgotten. I mean it was forgotten about a week after it came out, which is really a shame,
0: uh, but yeah, I think more people need to play unravel too anyway, Corey, what is your number eight? My number eight um, another weird indie one that was developed by like one person. um welcome to Hanwell, which
1: oh welcome to Hanwell, yes, welcome yes, yes. to
0: Hanwell, which you put in a massive amount of legwork just to get this game for me because the developer is some like film director dude who like is hard to get a hold of and apparently he like just like decided to make a video game once and then just kind of like never really did anything else with video games um so thank you first of all for that uh it came out on ps4 this year i think it came out on pc last year if i'm not mistaken but um it's basically like just kind of like an open world um and by open world i mean it's kind of like a city that you're in this weird kind of futuristic city um that like seems to be, like, oppressively in a rundown state. And it's kind of like a first-person monster game. Like, it's kind of Silent Hill-esque. Like, you wake up in this morgue, you leave the morgue, um, you kind of explore the streets. in a similar way to uh, Pain's Creek Killings, which I talked about earlier, the game kind of doesn't always, like, tell you exactly what to do. You just kind of, like, roam the streets, you have melee weapons, there's monsters that sometimes come up and attack you, like, these kind of zombie people and stuff. And, I think that the game could do with a little more direction. I think it could do with a little bit of like the fat trimmed off of it. There's just like a little too much exploration. I think the the game is maybe too big for its britches, if you will. Like there's like it's too it's too much. The, the world's a little bit too big, but there are just certain moments in this of this game that were like really well designed to me. Um, there's like a few sort of like chase sequence areas or like suspenseful moments that were well designed. There's a few levels where you enter these houses and it kind of reminded me all the enough and I talked about this when I talked about it on the show um the Friday the 13th game on NES that came out like god like 30 <laughs> yeah. years ago.
1: Oh, god, yes. There's just
0: like rows of houses in these areas and sometimes you can walk in them and like you walk in them and like there's one that's really this weird kind of like Stanley Kubrick looking like um, sort of like designed apartment, and like you don't know if there's something in there that's gonna attack you, so you're like cautious about walking around. And there's these weird like mirror ornament things on the walls, and it's just like there's a lot of weird stuff going on. And then, like, the end game that this game might go down as having like one of the worst like end game boss battles I've ever had in my life, but like everything leading up to it is really good. Like, there's a lot of like weird sci fi stuff going on in the end game that's like not in the beginning, and it's just like it's just a weird. Like first person, kind of survival, horror-y, um, a little bit like Condemned, a little bit like Silent Hill, a little bit like Friday the Thirteenth from thirty years ago. Um, I think it definitely could be a little bit tighter, but and it's definitely janky. Like there's some weird broken stuff going on in this game. Like you can't take your melee weapons into certain buildings, so you have to drop them on the ground before you walk in. But then when you exit the building, the melee weapon just disappears, and you have to like roam the streets to find another one. So there's just like little weird stuff like that, but. For this game to be designed predominantly by, like, one dude, there's some really impressive sequences in here. There's some really beautiful sequences in the game, Um, some stuff that, like, when you go into it... I mean, I'm guilty of thinking about this a lot when I play games. Like, if I play a game that's developed by, like, one to ten people, you know, I just, like, expect it not to be as polished as it is in certain places sure, which is reasonable very reasonable and, and but like this game had areas of like really surprising polish where i would walk in a room and there would be this like extravagant like a light sequence in front of me or just like something that was really interestingly designed and um and yeah and i just uh i liked seeing those areas of like really well polished game um because it was kind of, I mean, I wasn't expecting the game to be shit because it was made by one person. But, like, whenever it sort of, like, exceeds your expectations in different, like, compartmentalized areas, um, it really, like, lets the game shine. I mean, there's a lot of really great lighting. There's a lot of really grim atmospheres. Um, a few chase sequences that are pretty scary. But it's not, like, an Outlast game where the whole game you're, like, running and hiding from shit. Like, there's just a lot of downtime exploration, which I value because um, I don't like, you know, games that are all about shit chasing you and all about, you know, not being able to defend yourself and that kind of stuff. So, you know, it stays pretty well balanced. Um, but yeah, I welcome to Hannahwell I, I liked it. Um, I think it's very good. It's on PC. It's on PS4. I think it's on Xbox One, but I'm not positive. So you can get your hands on it anywhere. However, be warned. I played it on PS4. I wish I had played it on PC because it does not at the time of playing it which was probably about four or five months ago it did not allow for inverted controls on a gamepad on ps4 and i'm an inverted control weirdo so i had kind of a hard time playing it um, so be warned if you're an inverted control person and you want to play it um i don't think that's a thing on ps4 uh so just you know be warned about that but you know other than some minor complaints i think it was pretty good Interesting. You almost sold me on this one. I, I, In fact, I may have bought it when it
1: was on sale, or maybe I didn't. But I remember I look at it every time I see it, and I think that it's probably too scary for me. So even if I bought it, I probably would never play it. But I, <laughs> I, if I haven't bought it, I've come very close to buying it just because I remember you talking about it so fondly uh, on the show. So good pick. I was wondering if you're going to bring it back up. And yes, you certainly did. Excellent, I did. excellent. I all right, let's go number seven, number seven, my number seven for 2018, Celeste. Celeste on the Switch. I think it's on other platforms as well. This is a 2 D. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of a hardcore platformer in the vein of something like Super Meat Boy, where a lot of it is very precise jumping, uh, a lot of precise timing. There's a lot of spikes that you die, and, uh, I, I mean, the skill, the skill requirement to play it on the vanilla settings, I think, is pretty high. Um, but, The thing about Celeste is, like, number one, it's pretty rare that I see a game that marries the theme of the story to the actual mechanics of the gameplay as well as these guys did. Because in Celeste, you play a girl who is uh, dealing with some self esteem issues, maybe some mental health issues, and she decides that she's going to climb this mountain. And in doing so, that is going to be the thing that brings her back to. Her old self. She's going to like cure herself by going on this ordeal. And so it makes sense that it's hard to climb the mountain because, uh, you know, it's a pretty heavy topic, although it's handled really well. I mean, it's light. Um, there are some neat things that happen. They do address some more serious issues and they don't shy away from everything, but it's not just like this really like deep emo, sad all the time. I mean, it's, it's, it's handled really well. Uh, and I think that mental health is something that games do a good job of handling when they do choose to handle it. Unfortunately, it doesn't come up too often. So I think that marrying something that you do to something that you think about to something that is a real life thing can all work really harmoniously when it happens correctly. and I think Celeste got it really right. Um, the other thing that is worth noting about Celeste is that uh, they they were one of the first games to kind of kick off this like cascade of games that had a lot of uh, settings or accessibility or options to make things more accessible for players. This is the first one I remember this year that really like went above and beyond, because even though it's really difficult to play, you can turn off the spikes. You can give yourself extra jumps. You can like change all these different things in the game. So, I mean, if you want to, you can take all the teeth out of it and basically just play through the whole game without ever dying, without ever falling, and just see the story if you want to. And I think that was really cool because, I don't think that there should be like this arbitrary bar for people to get over. Number one, if they pay for a game and they can't engage with it. But number two, if the developer has something important to say, I think that that message should be shared with people. And just because their hands may not function as good as someone else's hands or their timing may not be as good as other people's timing, that's no reason to exclude them from this thing that they created. That I think is really worthwhile and good. So I super applaud them for having all those difficulty settings. And it really did set off a... Uh, uh, kind of like a little cascade of other games. Like it seemed like there was just a bunch of other games that saw what Celeste did and then uh, did the same thing, which I think is wonderful. I wish more developers would do that. Don't worry about gating us from your content arbitrarily. Don't think of it as like some kind of dick measuring contest or a bar for us to get over. Just make something good and let us engage with it. And if I like to play it on the hard mode, let me play it on the hard mode. If someone likes to play it on the easy mode, let them play it on the easy mode. Neither one is more valid or true or correct than the other. And I think this was one really great example of that. Uh, I I really applaud them opening up their game to players of any skill level, uh, which I think is something that we desperately need more of. So Celeste, I think, was good for many reasons, and that is why I chose it for my number
0: seven. Corey, thoughts or your number seven? Um, My thoughts are um, I am interested in this game solely because... I still haven't played it, but solely because of the whole, like, difficulty and handicap settings thing. Because anytime I hear about a game that is... That, like, the, the first... Like, if somebody describes a game and one of the first three things out of their mouth is, oh, it's really hard, I immediately don't give a fuck about it. Like, if that is your thing, if that's, like, the tagline of the game that people run with is, oh, it's really hard, you have to play it a lot, it's a lot of trial and error, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not in it for that kind of thing. That's why I don't like the Dark Souls games. That's why, I mean, try as I might, um, I just can't get into games like that. But knowing that they've done this whole you know, kind of adjusting difficulty, um, you know, kind of handicaps on or off kind of thing uh, really makes me interested in playing it. This is the kind of game I might pick up whenever it goes on like a super sale in a while, like maybe on Switch or something. Um, And solely because of the difficulty level thing, um, because I'm not here to bang my head against a wall for 10 hours just so I can say, oh yeah, I beat it. Look at how big my dick is. Like that's not me at all. So um, I really applaud them for... um, for you know doing that and sort of like in a way like even though it's kind of a small indie game like setting an example for the entire industry at large that this is something that we should be taking more seriously whether it's as soon as the game comes out or in post-release patches that sort of um lighten up the difficulty overall because a lot of triple a game even like big triple a games have done this uh vampire did a like an extra easy mode a few months ago i think spider-man on ps4 did like an easier yeah, yeah, mode yeah. um so, yeah, like, even the big dogs are taking note of this kind of thing, and I think it's really important, and they're setting a good standard for the industry.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Love all select. right.
0: So what is what is your what is your number seven, sir? My number seven, here it is. Number seven, God of War. Um, oh, God. Despite, despite all of the things that we've said about this game, I still think it's good. I cannot turn a blind eye to... The technical prowess that this game is because it is honestly, I mean, and I played it on a PS4 Pro on a 4K TV. It's honestly one of the best looking games I've ever played. I can't deny that. I can't deny the technical artistry. I can't deny the world that they've built. The action is good enough. It's not amazing, um, but it's, I mean, if I, because this is the kind of game that I'm usually not in for, but I played the whole thing. I didn't enjoy the whole thing, but I was still, I didn't want to give up on it. I wasn't actively hating it. Um, I was just sort of actively hating the fan base that it nurtured, if you will. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a good game. I mean, obviously, I don't need to sit here and be like, oh, of course God of War is good because it's winning like every game of the year award ever from like every outlet ever. So obviously, like this game doesn't need me to carry, you know, to carry it around and like, you know, champion for it. Um But I do think it's good, and I can't. I can't, even though it was disappointing, and I don't think it's you know the next best thing since sliced bread, like everybody else is saying. I can't deny that it's a good game, and um, it's on my top ten list. And I mean, for all of the technical reasons, for the sort of like the beauty of the world, a lot of just the weird like, oh, you like you're walking in snow, and it moves so realistically. I know that's like a really dumb thing because we don't usually harp on graphics on the show, but. I mean, I can't I can't turn a blind eye to that. And I do think God of War is a good game. I stand by my decision to have it on my top 10. Um, a lot of people are probably not going to be pleased about everything that I have above it. But I think it deserves a spot. And it is my number seven. And going forward, I never want to talk about this game ever again. <laughs> so we can just leave it here. It's number seven. And that is that.
1: Well, I totally, I stand by your decision to stand by your decision to have God of War <laughs> on your list. And it's not like I disagree. Like, I, I, I feel like I came on kind of strong earlier in the show. So I, I do kind of want to circle back a little bit. Like, like I said, I think eight hours of it are great. I really do. I mean, speaking of graphics, I mean, you're not wrong. When I, when I turned on the game for the first time, and I was just on a standard PS4 on a regular TV, not even like a, you know, a top of the line TV or anything. I mean, seeing Kratos' model was pretty breathtaking. Like, wow, he looks like amazing. And the world, I mean, I don't like the way it is designed and like how how many hallways it seems like it is. But like just looking at it, the way that it looks is pretty stunning. I mean, there's definitely a lot of serious artistry happening. Um, I mean, the fact that they even tried to do anything with Kratos is, I think, pretty amazing because, I mean, prior to this year, he was like angry and that's all he was. Uh, maybe like a wee bit of sadness, but basically like 99.9% angry. And what do you even do with a character like that? So <laughs> for them to even attempt to do something, to humanize him a little bit, I think is definitely worth noting. So I do want to applaud them for that. Um, and also uh, fatherhood is a thing. I know people are like, kind of like having this like backlash against the daddening of video games or something, but I think it's valid. I mean, a lot of developers are getting older. I think it's good that we are covering more than just the teenage protagonist in every JRPG. You know, talking about parenting in video games is, I think, something that is worthy of a lot more exploration. So I'm glad that God of War tried to do that. And they do have many good moments. I don't think the story overall really hit with me, and I don't think that it's as strong as it could be. But there are many really solid moments of Kratos and Atreus talking like when they're in their canoe is some of the best moments when they're just talking and nothing's going on. They're kind of just having a little fat chewing session and telling stories and stuff like that. So that's pretty good. I mean, there's definitely good stuff. Like, I don't want to sound like it's garbage. It's not garbage game. It's not, it's not something that I hate. I don't hate it. Uh, I just, you know, as we said earlier in the show, I think it's wildly overrated and I think it's getting a pass on a lot of things that it could be rightly criticized for. And if other people want to pick it as their game of year, that's totally cool. It's no skin off my nose no hate for me, but for me, it was a pretty far away off from being game of the year. Uh, but still, yeah, not terrible. Not in my top 10, but not terrible. I just think it is, it is wildly overrated. So <laughs> there we go. There we go. All right, moving on. And I'm right with you. We can never, we never have to talk about God of War again. That's totally <laughs> fine. We're just going to let it lie. This is the last ever appearance of Kratos on the Sobody Game Show right here. You heard it. You're here first. Uh, okay. Number six, number six, uh, Monster Hunter World. Monster Hunter World. I kind of went back and forth on this one. It was higher for a while. It was lower for a while. I have, I'm pretty mixed on this. Um, but I think the thing that I want to celebrate with Monster Hunter World is that it really is the next step. It is the legitimate, full next step that Monster Hunter as a series needed to do for a long, long time. They got really comfortable by being on handhelds. And lest people forget, this actually started off as a console game. The very first Monster Hunter was a console game. It was not a handheld game. So this series has gone back and forth from console to handheld and back and back and again. And, you know, so I've been with the series basically since the start, uh, more or less. Seen the ups, seen the downs, played all the games, finished all the fucking games. So I've put in my time. And this was this was what they needed to do. It needed a kick in the ass. It needed to move forward. It needed to get out of the rut it was in. They had nowhere else to go on, con- on handheld. They were just kind of cannibalizing their own content, redoing the same stuff they had already done many times. It was getting really stale and they hadn't opened it up to new people. And I, I just, as someone who has played this series for basically the entire time it's been in America, I just had this feeling in my heart that like, it could be bigger. It could be better. It could be more open. It could have way more fans. It could be more of a thing if they would simply like, you know, do things that needed to change, change things, open it up, make it more accessible, make it, you know, look better, get, have easier ways for people to get into it. And that, that, that turned out to be true. Monster Hunter World is one of Capcom's biggest selling games of all time. Uh, The most successful Monster Hunter. It's, you know, got the biggest fan base. I mean, it was a legitimate sensation. I mean, for, at least a couple months, it was all people in my circles were talking about. And I still, people I still, even after all this time, still see people uh, regularly talking about it, talking about the new quests, talking about the, the free DLC, talking about, you know, whatever new weapon or gear they got. So I think it, it really made an impact. And I think it's here to stay. There's going to be a brand new, gigantic update to the game coming this year, which is basically like a sequel that you don't have to buy another game for. You just add it on to what you've got. So I think that's going to like keep the juice going and people are going to be even more invested in it. It's not perfect. Um, I don't like the westernized art style. I really dislike it. Um, I am much more a fan of the traditional Japanese uh, flavor that the game has traditionally had. I don't like the westernization. I think it looks dull and drab and really unappealing. Um, and for me... Monster Hunter fashion is like a really big part of the game. It's like one of the things that's the best part about it, like getting a really cool piece of armor or a really awesome weapon and showing it off to your friends is like one of the best things. And I just don't really feel that very much about this game. So it loses a lot for me. Also, I think the online is kind of insane. They There's a really cool SOS system to get people together in a hurry, and that's awesome. But the general like meeting up with your friends and questing as a group and how you meet people online. It's just, it's ass. Like, it's really bad. And I don't know why they keep fucking it up. But those things apart, um, I think I just really want to recognize it and celebrate it for finally taking the next step, which was so badly needed. And I'm really glad to see that people responded just the way I had hoped they would. And I'm sure Capcom is also even happier than I am. And uh, it's good. It's good that Monster Hunter is still a thing, still in discussion, and it looks like it's still moving forward. So we will be hunting monsters for
0: many years to come. Corey? <laughs> Thoughts, or you were number six? Uh, No thoughts per se. Never been into the series. Every time you talk about it, I'm like, all right, sounds great, but I'll never play it. Although I did play the demo and didn't really get on with it, but um, I'll move on to mine. Uh, I feel like people are going to not be pleased about where this is on my list, um, especially with it being above God of War, but this is my, like, I guess, my one slot of just kind of like a mindless fun game that I just, like, enjoyed playing but didn't really, like, have anything deep or not a great story or whatever. It's just a reliable game that I played all of that I kind of feel guilty about having. It's like a guilty pleasure game, if you Don't will. Don't be guilty, um, Cory. Don't be guilty. You love what you love. Don't be guilty. Uh, yeah. So my number six <laughs> is Far Cry 5. <laughs>
1: Okay, go for it. That's funny because I've seen it on many people's worst of uh, 2018 lists, but I fully believe that you love this, and I want to hear why you loved it.
0: Well, I mean, I don't even know if I loved it. It was just, like, a dependable game to play. Like, I think part of me putting it on my list is, like, kind of respecting that, you know, it's a big game. There's probably a lot of, like, technical prowess that went into making it. And, I mean, I played the whole thing. And, like, my other thing is, like, I'm not usually one as of late, as of the last few years, to play like big open world games where you have to do, you know, you have to get loot to build things and you have to do the side quests and then you have to do the main quests. Like I'm not really, that hasn't been my bag for a while, um, but I played this entire game. So like, what does that say? Like, yeah, it's not, that it's, like, far from the best game I've ever played in my life. It's also far from the best, like, Far Cry game I've ever played in my life. But, like, it was there. It was dependable. I played all of it. Um, I like upgrading my guns in it. I like riding cars around and riding helicopters around and shooting things and, like, doing the stealth missions. I like that the game has stayed true to its sort of, like, approach any mission from any different way. Although, I do think the stealth is a little bit more difficult than it should be. Um But, you know, finally upgrading all your weapon slots, being able to, you know, have your, like, big-ass sniper rifle on your back with a silencer, having your bow for, like, more up-close, like, killing, having your silenced pistol, having your shotgun, like, just, like, having—being, like, decked out, being able to perch up on a hill from far away, try to snipe everyone in the base, and then get in and, like, knife them all to death and try to, like, get through— You know, or just run in guns blazing. You can friggin' light a car on fire and drive it through the front gate and let it explode and just, you know, blow everybody up. I don't think Far Cry is perfect. I think Far Cry is super, super, super overdue for, like, a mix-up to the game formula. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. if Ubisoft is ever going to do that because the next one that they unveiled basically looks the same as this one except for it's going to be in, like, a post-apocalyptic setting and I don't think that's enough to, like, really, you know, lift it off the ground or whatever... But, I mean, it's there. It was dependable. I played all of it. I don't really know what else to say. Like, it's not, like I said earlier, my top four are super locked in. Everything below it on my top ten list is just, like, fine stuff that I played this year. But I don't know. Far Cry 5 is there. I played all of it. I thought it was fun enough. And, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Please don't please don't at me and don't send me hate mail. But that's how I feel. <laughs>
1: Well, cool, cool, cool. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Far Cry, but I do like the off the off brand Far Cries. Um, I played a little bit of Blood Dragon. I thought that was interesting. I meant to come back to it. Never did. Played Far Cry Primal, which I thought was super fun. And I I love that a lot. I thought Far Cry Primal was awesome. And apparently this next post apocalyptic one is another off brand one. So that to me is going to be the interesting one. I think the numbered ones are the boring ones to skip. But if you liked it, man, go for it. I mean, I can understand why you got into it. Vehicles, open world, shooting stuff. It all makes sense. Uh let's move on. Number five. Number five for me. Uh I a little bit of heartburn over this one, but I think it has earned its <laughs> place. Uh Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight on the Switch. Uh number five for me. I am tired of Dark Souls. I am tired of Dark Souls likes. I am tired of Metroidvania's. I am tired of games that don't tell you the story and expect you to read item descriptions and look up for, like, bits of lore and piece it all together. I'm tired of all that shit. And Hollow Knight does all that stuff. <laughs> and even so, I still found it to be a really fun and engaging, interesting, worthwhile game to play. So it was overcoming quite a few hills with me. Like, it had it had a lot to get through before it got on my good side, but it did manage to get on my good side. I think the animation is awesome. Screenshots do not do Hollow Knight justice. It looks kind of I mean, it looks kind of dippy in screenshots. Like it doesn't... It's hard to to see what makes it look so good when you can't see it moving. But when you see it moving, you're like, wow, this looks amazing. Uh, controls were super tight. I thought that the gameplay was really well designed. You had a series of kind of power-ups that you had to mix and match to kind of get through different areas, which I thought was really well done. Uh, just very exciting to play. Lots of cool exploration. The levels were very neat to get into. Lots of secrets to find. It just was... I mean, it was amazing to me that it, that it did all the things that I currently can't stand. And I still thought it was really great. I mean, even, even, even more so, um, I had to play with a wiki open to finish the game because I just was lost and I didn't know what I was doing, needed a lot of help. I think that anybody who plays this game is going to need a wiki. And I hate doing that. I hate having to go to the internet to finish a game. But I did it here and I didn't feel bad about it. I still really enjoyed my time. Uh, I just think it's a really well done mechanical game. Like if you want to play something that feels really good to play, that is really good quality action, looks really good, uh, keeps you involved. Uh, I mean, I think Hollow Knight is really, really good. And if you like that soul shit, if you like being a lore hound, (laughs) if you like all that getting lost and trying to figure things out, well, then you're going to like it even more. So, I mean, definitely your jam if that suits you. Uh, But it really says something that I hated all those things. And I still thought this game was great. So Hollow Knight to me, was probably one of the best straight up just pure action games I've played all year. Very, very good stuff.
0: Corey? Um, I know you recommended this to me after I talked about Salt and Sanctuary last week. I don't know if I'll ever play it, but... No, I, I, do, I don't
1: think you should. I don't think you should. I, it, <laughs> it's better than Salt and Sanctuary. So I recommend it only if you want to do that again, but
0: I do not recommend it to you like just in general. So I don't know. Maybe if it's on sale for like three dollars on switch or something i yeah, might pick it up I, I i don't think you're gonna like it but it's better than salt and sanctuary i will take your word for it especially because it's so high on your list i like how like that for you and far cry 5 for me we're both kind of like yeah we're kind of over this genre but we played the whole game so it must be good like that's like oh our, our barrier for entry to get on our top 10 list <laughs> uh, well
1: you know i mean i mean how good is this game there was actually a secret boss which was incredibly difficult to beat. And I, most, like a lot of people don't even know the boss is there. I figured, you know, I found on a wiki, it was there. I went to go play it. I, it took me like three days of playing that boss, but I still did it. And I'm glad that I did it. But like, it was terrible. It was awful. It was hateful. But I still did it because I liked it and I wanted to do it. So that says something. I don't put out that, that kind of effort for just any fucking game. So
0: it must have done <laughs> something right. All right. Well, let's move on. Um, for my number five of the year, uh, this, I don't know if this is going to be a surprise or not either, but uh, my number five of the year, um, on, on kind of a technicality, because it's like kind of DLC, but I consider it enough of a standalone to be its own thing. Hmm. Um, my number five is Prey Moon Crash. Oh, I knew you were going to say Moon Crash. Okay, okay. Interesting, interesting. All right, go on, sir. Go on. So, a lot of my reason for having this as my number five is because, simply because Prey, like to remind everybody, I've said this like 30 times on the show, Prey was my number two game of the year last year. I love Prey so much. Like, and, you know, there's games that get a lot, that a lot of people love, and I come on the show and, like I said earlier, like, okay, I don't need to carry this game and champion it because so many other people love it. Prey is not that game. I feel like nobody played this game, and I feel like there's, like, 10 of us on Twitter that are carrying this torch and being like, Prey, it's so good. You need to play it. It's so good. And I just feel really bad for Arcane because I feel like nobody played this game, but i mean the good news is that they have time to be doing dlc for it so that means something because if it really if they didn't if like they didn't get funding from anybody buying it they probably wouldn't have time to do dlc or the money or the resources or whatever and they've done prey moon crash and they did some other stuff too recently um they did like a vr thing and they did like a a human on mimics like uh pvp thing or something which i haven't tried but that's a different thing so they're still carrying it which is great um I like Prey Moon Crash simply because it is more prey. I love this game so much, and being able to have more of it is a good thing. That being said, this is a completely separate adventure from the main story on its own territory. It doesn't take place anywhere that the main game does, and it is actually a rogue light. You have different characters you can unlock over the course of exploring this big like three-pronged base area. Um, there's like different ways you can have every crew member escape. Um, if you die, your character dies permanently and then you can restart with another one of the characters. If you have them unlocked and, you know, in roguelite fashion, you can go back to that character, the dead character, pick up the stuff and then keep going. Every character has their own unique abilities and you can upgrade them, but the upgrades stay even if you die. Um, so that kind of gives it more of an edge that's up my alley. Um, ultimately I, Didn't like Prey Moon Crash as much as I would have liked, because I would much rather have just, like, a five-hour standalone adventure, sort of like how Deus Ex Human Revolution had the Missing Link DLC. That was, like, a totally standalone 10-hour adventure that was, like, everything that made Human Revolution great, but just, like, sized down into this perfect little package. I wish they would have done that for Prey and had given us, you know, just, like, basically more of the same. But it's also commendable that they would take the formula of Prey and do something completely different with it, because you're going to get... If you do more of the same, you're going to get complaints from people that are saying, oh, well, they're just doing more of the same. And then if you do something different, you're going to get complaints from people that are saying, oh, well, they did something completely different. Why didn't they just do more of the same? So like, you know, Prey, Arcane, they're a, they're between a rock and a hard place, um, yeah, a, yeah, a moon yeah. rock and a hard place, perhaps. Um, but I, I like this. It's more Prey. Um, I didn't like it as much as I, as I wanted to because it does fall back on the roguelite stuff. Ultimately, you know, a lot of dying, a lot of restarting, a lot of kind of... Difficult, unfair um, challenges for me, but I played it a lot. Like, I played it for a lot of hours. And if this is.
1: How did um, you really?
0: I did. I feel yeah. Like, I feel like you didn't talk about it that much. I mean, we because I wrote the review for Game Critics, and I I talked about it on, like, one or two shows. But, I mean, I ended up playing it – I played it way more than I needed to to write the review. Like, that's for damn sure. Um, but I also didn't uh, – I didn't, like, fully finish it. So maybe I'm, like, also breaking another rule here. But I played – I mean, I finished individual characters' missions, but I didn't finish them all at once. And that's sort of like the main objective of the game. So maybe that's like a caveat in my own rules. But I did play it a lot. And I mean, if this is a genre of game that I am normally not in for at all, you know, putting it in the, I don't know, dark trench coat of a game that I love, you know, is something that can really get me into it. <laughs> um, I just, I, I mean, I like it because it's more Prey. I love Prey. I cannot talk about how much I love that game enough. And this, even though this isn't my bag entirely, just being able to play more Prey was great. And for people who like Prey or like roguelites, this is like the perfect, I guess, like mix of the two. Um, I really like Prey, Moon, Crash. I wish that they would just do more story stuff, but I also respect them for you know, kind of stepping out of their comfort zone and giving us different experiences. Unfortunately, it wasn't completely to my taste, but I do respect everything they're doing with this game. And the fact that they just keep supporting the game is commendable enough because it came out a small group of people loved it and then everybody forgot about it. And so the fact that Arcane and Bethesda are even still doing stuff with this game, like to this day, is incredible to me. So hats off to Arcane. Uh, Pray Moon Crash is my number five. Excellent.
1: Excellent. All right, uh, moving on. We're getting close to the end here. We're at number four. Number four. four. We're in the top half. Uh, Number four for me is, as I was kind of alluding to earlier when we were talking about the rules, this is a game that was released in another year originally, but got a new updated version on a new platform, so I am going to count it. Number four for me this year, Darkest Dungeon. Um, Been around for a while, but it was new on the Switch this year, and honestly... I believe the Switch version is the best version of the game, so I think it's probably worth highlighting for that reason. A lot of people are familiar with it, but just in case you're not, it is a kind of a... not. It's not exactly a roguelike. There are roguelike elements to it, but it is a 2D role-playing game where you put a party of different warriors together and you go into these dungeons. There is a story mode. You can complete the game, Um, the key hook to the game is that each character has a variety of different powers and you cannot have them all at the same time. So you've got to pick and choose. And then those powers will interact with other people on your team. So it becomes really about like kind of a in-depth team building sort of a game where you want to have the characters that work best with each other. And then you pick the powers that play off of each other and have good synergy Uh but the art style is phenomenal. The art style is just like I'm so like in love with it. I love the art style of this game. It's it's just tremendous. Uh the music is scary and creepy, the voices are great. Uh the gameplay is just really deep and nuanced and engaging. And if you're the kind of person who likes to dig into the details on a squad based game like this, it is really, really, really well done. Um I played this game basically from start to finish. I did everything in the game, beat the game, uh did the extra stuff, unlocked all the stuff. After I did everything, I just made a million dollars just because I was bored and I wanted to keep playing it because I really didn't want to be done with it. Uh so overall, I mean, pretty fantastic experience and even though it's been out for a while, I think the switch is where it's at because even though it's such a great game, like it it feels a little bit too small to play like on a home console on a big TV. Like I don't know if you get that if I'm making myself clear if you know that feeling, but like sometimes a game just feels like it's a small small screen sort of a game, and that's where it is best. And some things just seem like they, you know, when I'm in front of a console. I want to have like explosions and cool sound and, you know, great special effects. And Darkest Dungeon is great for what it is, but it just, it doesn't really suit like a big TV. So I think the Switch is a great screen for it. Uh, The developers also put in new difficulty levels. This is another example of the developers putting in an easier difficulty level, which I think was very necessary. They had it scaled way too high for a long time. Um, It was pretty it was pretty uh, sadistic for many, many years. Uh, so I'm glad they dialed it back a little bit because again, like those other games you mentioned, it's a wonderful game. There's a lot to love here, but I don't think that suffering every time you play it is really serving a purpose. I mean, I think that it can communicate its dark themes, the oppressive feel of the game, the challenge, but it doesn't need to be soul crushing every time you play it. Um, so they did some tweaks to it. They added some new DLC, added some new characters Uh, I think the switch is just where it's at. I I put in like more, I mean, probably like 150 hours on this game and did basically everything. So I love it to pieces. As we mentioned on the last episode, I think I own this game like five times. (laughs) Uh, I bought the art book. I brought, I bought the diorama. I have a shirt. I have a hat. I think I have a poster. Uh, I think I'll, oh, I should have made a mug. I should have made a mug. I forgot to make a mug, Corey. (laughs) I got to get a mug. (laughs) But, uh, I love this game. I, this is one of my favorite games, like of all time. Uh, so Darkest Dungeon for me, number four, not totally perfect. There's a few little, uh, things I would like to tweak on it, but best version of an awesome game. And I love it so much. So that's my number four, Corey, Corey
0: Motley. Uh, my number four is, we can keep this short cause I've already talked about it. My number four is North. Um, I've talked about it at length on the show several times over. I already talked about it earlier. I don't really know what else there is to say about it other than, you know, short first-person exploration game, kind of obtuse, kind of weird, got a lot of interesting visual imagery going on. Um, if you say the words artsy game, this might perhaps fall into that category, uh, although, I, you know, it's kind of silly, but it's just something that is easy to say. Um, but North, my number four game of the year... I like it. I hope that the guys who make this game continue to make more stuff. They have like a big catalog of games on itch. So uh, fingers crossed, they'll just keep making more stuff. And now that they have stuff ported onto consoles, because I think North is their only game that's on consoles. um, Hopefully they'll keep making stuff for consoles as well. um, So that way they can kind of open up their audience to kind of the cool, like weird, like avant-garde stuff they're doing. Um, But that's that number four North.
1: Interesting. I did not expect it to be so high on your list.
0: Mm, I think about it, you know, okay, so here's a mini discussion we can have. Sometimes when you play a game, even if it's not the most technically impressive thing you've ever played in your life, um, because North certainly is not, but it's good. There's just those games you play that you just like think about every day. Like North is like one of those games for me. Like I think about it a lot and it's not because it's the best game I've ever played it's just so, like, mysterious and strange, um, and I just like the art of it and the fact that it came out of nowhere. It's just one of those games that I think about quite often, and, I, I mean, and that in and of itself, because there's so many games that I played this year that I just forgot immediately. Like, I played it, I even if I beat it, a week or two later, um, oh, yeah, I guess I played that game, and then it's just in one year, out the other, North is not that for me. It's a game that I think about a lot, and i it's just I feel like it's deserving of a place very high on my list, um, not just because of that, but it takes something really special for a game to just like stick with me after a while and I just really appreciate that about it
1: that's so interesting, it's so interesting because your take on it and my take on it were so wildly different and like <laughs> i just it's it's so curious to me to see like when something connects with somebody or like when something reaches somebody in a certain way so I would never have guessed it. I would never have guessed it. Um, but wow, I'm glad that you played it. I'm glad you connected with it. I'm glad you're bringing it back up. And I would be really curious to hear from readers. I mean, just to take a minute here. Like if you guys have heard us talking about it, or heard Corey talking about it and playing it yourself, I would really want, I'm curious. Like, do you guys like it? I mean, what, I, I want to hear more feedback on it because I think this is a really, probably the most interesting title of this year for me because your take and my take are so wildly different. And I just, I want to kind of dig into that a little bit. Not right now, but. Just just to figure out, like, what it is that connects with you and why it didn't connect with me. We'll have to, I don't know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll talk about it again. I think, if I'm not
0: mistaken, I think Badger Commander played it based solely off my recommendation, off hearing it on the show. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he liked it. So the fact that I got at least one person to try it, I mean, two if I count you, um, like, that's good for me. So fingers crossed he did like it. I remember him saying he did. I think he said he did. But yeah, also, if I, I'm interested to know if anybody else did play this, please mm-hmm. let us know. And if you, even if you didn't like it, um, because maybe that means our show is actually good for something because we're getting people to play games that they've never heard of. Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: you know, it's uh, we, we will get into that a little bit when we get to the listener comments. So that'll come up a couple times. We'll get to that, uh, which is something that I find personally very gratifying. Um, but yeah, i do believe Badger Commander probably would like it. This seems like his kind of game. AJ Small, who's one of the writers of game critics, uh, he and I do not agree on much. So it would make perfect sense to me that he would love this game <laughs> and line up with you on this one. That would not surprise me a bit. Alright, top three, boy. We're getting to the good quality stuff now, boy. This is this is the the end game. This is the end all be all of 2018. Hell yeah. My number three guaranteed to piss off people oh, all no. across the internet. Oh, no. People are going to quit the show. People are going to send me hate mail. <laughs> people are going to cuss me out on the sidewalk oh, when they see no. me. People are going to hate on me. And those are just my fellow writers and game critics, not to mention all the people who are out in the internet at large. Um, but I feel this one with all my heart and soul. I loved this one. I loved every minute of it. I thought it was really, really good. Really well designed, very underrated. People wanted to hate this game from the moment they knew it was announced. Nobody gave it a chance. And even after people tried it, they had their knives out and were ready to tear it down from the get-go. Do you know what game I'm talking about?
0: Metal Gear Survive.
1: Boom, spot on, spot on. Metal Gear Survive is my number three, and I'm sure people across the world are letting out a collective gasp right now. But I'm, <laughs> I am dead serious when I say this was a phenomenal survival experience. I don't generally play the survival genre because I think it's really tedious and oppressive and boring and just really penalizes the player a lot and just not very fun to me. But this one took those elements that I generally don't like, repackaged them into a way which I thought was really great. Like it made it sensible. There was a cool premise. Uh, the systems all work together really well. There was enough of an action component to make it feel not quite like you were just collecting shit all the time, but you were actually fighting to survive. Uh, Going up against those enemies in different scenarios was really fun. I loved getting to build my own base, like taking what is basically a patch of fucking desert with a couple of rocks and a lizard on it, and then setting up a fence and turning it into like this functioning like oasis for survivors and like going out to bring people back and rescuing them and then assigning them jobs and building up the base to be something that was really functional and kind of a bastion against this like wasteland that was out there was really cool. I just think it was a really, really well done game. Like everything about it. And when you look at it from the context of being a survival game was fantastic. I know that a lot of people were like rah, 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 Konami because of whatever shenanigans they were up to as a corporation. Not, I'm not debating that. A lot of people were like, Kojima's not involved, so fuck it. And I'm, um, you know, I I am not the biggest Kojima fan. I, I kind of am a fan, but I'm not like one of those people that worships the ground he walks on. I think he's got some issues. So I was okay to play a game that was made by people who worked on Metal Gear, but were not Hideo Kojima. Uh, and people forget Metal Gear has done many, many, many offshoots over the history of the series. They have done... Uh, PSP portable games. They've done the card game, Metal Gear Acid. They did um, that one that had Raiden as the action fighter. What was that one? That was uh, the sword fighting one. The Revengeance. You know,
0: Revengeance. Metal Gear Rising.
1: Totally. Metal Gear Rising. They've done the VR missions. I mean, there's been a bunch of spin offs. Metal Gear has not stayed in its lane the entire time. And people act like taking it into a survival genre was some kind of like holy offense. And I'm sorry, but that's just not true. Don't know your history if that's what you think. So I think. Metal Gear Survival was a fantastic survival game. You know, it's not a Metal Gear game in what most of the hardcore fans who can spout off all of the lore of the Metal Gear series wanted. It did not advance the story, if you want to call it a story, uh, in any way. It didn't have some of the same characters. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't what fans wanted, perhaps. But I think that if you approached it as an action survival game and just took it for what it was, I thought it was fantastic. I loved every minute of it played it from start to finish. I thought it was fucking great and clever and brilliant and exciting. Many, many, many good moments. I had a wonderful time with Metal Gear Survive. I love this game
0: so much. And I think it definitely deserves my number three spot.
1: Corey, thoughts? Feelings? You're,
0: you're the only person in video game community ever that will have this on your top 10 list, probably.
1: Well, you know, it's this game has uh, has ended up on many people's worst of the year list, which I think is a travesty. I think that's just people taking the piss. I don't think that's actually deserved. And, but I have, I will say, I will say, I have talked to a couple of people who played this game just because they heard us talk about it on the podcast. And most people who give it a shot end up really liking it. Maybe not liking it as much as me, but they will be like, "Oh yeah, that was a pretty good game. Like it wasn't hot trash, like so many uh, Metal Gear fans <laughs> want to make it out to be." So I'm glad that I turned at least a few people onto it. I I feel really bad for the team that put this together because they had a lot of hardships not only from Hideo leaving the stuff that was going down at Konami, et cetera, et cetera, but a lot of people were really just, we're going to pour gas on this and light it on fire before it even hit release, which was really a shame because I think they did a great fucking job. So if I get even one more person to play a Metal Gear Survive and just think it's okay, I will have done my job. (laughs) Corey,
0: number three. Yes. Um, my number three, yeah, we really are in the business now. Because I mean, I said I was feeling good about my top four, but I'm obviously feeling good about my top three as well. Um, my number three of the year is none other than Marvel's Spider-Man. Really? Really? Uh, Okay, do tell, do tell. I mean, in sort of the same sense, I mean, I'm not saying that Marvel Spider-Man and Far Cry Five are the same game at all, but in the same like open world fetch quest, go pick up things, go from one corner of the city to the other, like that's generally again, like not my kind of jam. But just like the physicality of moving around the world as Spider-Man has never been more exciting than in this game. And I was pleased to just rope swing, web swing around the city, um, you know, off from the rooftops down to, you know, uh, 10 feet off the street. Like, any anything goes, and I love being able to move around. It reminded me, just moving around the city reminded me so much of, like, Mirror's Edge Catalyst, because the thing that I hate about open world games is that usually it's get in a car, hold R2 for 10 minutes until you're on the other side of the city, or press up on the thumbstick and hold a run button until you're on the other side of the city. But both Spider-Man and Mirror's Edge Catalyst, really, they challenge you to be alert and engaged um, just as you're moving across the city. And it's not like difficult to get across the city, but it's fun. It looks wonderful. And it's just so much better than jumping in a car and holding R2 for 10 minutes. Like anytime I had to move across the city in this game, I was just thrilled that... It just felt so good. And it, there's multiple ways to do it, too. I mean, you can run around if you want to, but there's, like, you know, a web swing. There's a move where he, like, attaches both webs to the corner of a building, and he, like, pulls himself toward it really quick. And then if you want to, you can, like, do this, like, pole vault thing off of that when you connect, and he, like, launches even farther. So there's just, like, different maneuvers you can use to get around. And, I mean, this game's not number three just because getting around the city is fun, but that's such a big part of it. But, I mean, beyond that, it is definitely the best spider game a uh, spider game spider-man game ever made and it's it's just so much fun to play i mean the combat does get kind of repetitive a lot of the missions are pretty similar where you know you swing to one building you kind of fight people you know you fight a mob of people and then you move on to the next or you know maybe there's a boss battle at the end. I also stand by my thoughts that the story very much seems like it's going to wrap up and then like 60% through it takes this weird turn and adds all this extra stuff on the end, but even with all that stuff going on, I just think this game is a blast to play. I think it's pretty well written. I think the characters are good. Um, I've been dying to play the DLC cause all three DLC episodes are out now, but I'm waiting for, I know, I just know that the season pass is going to go on sale at some point. So I'm not, I'm going to wait as soon as the season pass goes on a sale, I'm going to pick it up and then I'm going to play all the DLC cause I've heard nothing but good things about the DLC for it. And this game's just a lot of fun. It's challenging in some parts. I think it's challenging in good ways, sort of in like, um, the combat is similar to, like, kind of similar to, like, Batman in a way. I don't think it's as finely tuned as that, but it's probably, like, the next best thing as far as, you know, third person sort of, like, action brawling goes. Um, The amount of suits that you can get, the the fact that the different suits have different power-ups and that you have different gadgets you can use to help you in fights. There's just, like, a lot of stuff going on. And, I mean, most of it, not all of it is, you know, the best thing I've ever played, but most of it is fun. Um, If it's not fun, it's at least good enough. And it's just like a lot of fun. Like you can tell that a lot of hard work and heart and soul went into making this game. And for someone like me, who I'm not super huge into, you know, superhero games or superhero movies uh, or Spider-Man, even though I've photographed Spider-Man in real life a lot, which is a weird thing to say, but I'm not like that super into like the lore. I'm not into comics, but like in, I'm not into open world games, but even with all that stuff sort of like against it, I still love this game. I think it's really fun. Um, and even for people who like open world games, I mean, it's, it's just like the best open world experience I've had in a very, very long time. Just getting around is thrilling. Um, there's just a lot to do. I don't know. I know that you played it and it wasn't your jam because it's just a little bit too much stuff going on for you. Um, but I, I mean, I, d- I certainly don't stand alone with praising this game because I've heard plenty of other people say that they like it. Um, but yeah, Spider-Man, I love it. I think it's great. And I think it's well-deserved as my number three of the year.
1: Right on. Yeah, you, not my jam, uh, but you were certainly not alone there. I mean, basically every podcast and website in the world, I mean, it's Spider-Man is like in the top three of like everybody on Earth. So you're not you're definitely not alone. I think I am probably definitely in the minority of people who just, you know, thought it was okay and moved on. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. My wife did love it though. Gina loved it. She had a great time with it and uh, my son loved it too. So I think out of our, even, even in my own household, I am the one who stands alone and not liking (laughs) it. So I'm all out on a desert island all by myself. No big deal. Okay. Top two, top two. We are almost at the end of our our top 10 of the year, the 10 best games. Uh, So I got to be honest, man. Like my number two was my number one for like a long time, for like for like nine months out of the year. Uh, and I thought for sure it was going to be my number one. It could still be my number one. My number one and number two are so... They're both so fucking good. So fucking good. <laughs> I, feel, I feel bad that I need to choose one over the other. Uh, but I've actually picked like uh, multiple winners in the past. I didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to pick just one clear winner. Uh, but I will pick number two. And I love it. Like uh, there is... Do not think this is diminished in any way, because this game is amazing. Uh, West of
0: Loathing for the Switch. I have been waiting for this to come up. I thought it was going to be your number one.
1: It was my number one for a long, long, long time. I mean, this game is fucking tremendous. And I've already talked about it endlessly in the podcast. I've also apologized many times to the developers because I knew about this game for a long time. And I just was like, this game looks like crap. I don't want to play that. It looks stupid. <laughs> and i not even going to bother. Why am I even looking at this game? Because it's fucking stick figures. It is literally stick figures. <laughs> Your character is a stick figure. <laughs> Every environment is a hand-drawn line drawing of just like a square box is a house with a little triangle on top is the roof. And like, I, I, I mean, when you look at it, you're like, what, why, what is this? It's a joke, right? Like it's, it can't be a game. So I have apologized profusely. I will apologize one more time for not getting into this game. But once I got into this game, I was just staggered, staggered by what an amazing game it is. Um, so first things first, I do think that the art style works. Once you get into it and kind of figure out like what the tone is, how funny and clever and not serious the game is, I think the art style works. Uh, but the other thing about this game is like it's so deep. It's actually a full on open world RPG, but done with 2D artwork and stick figures. Uh, So many places to discover, so many secrets, so many people to talk to, so many interesting things to do, so many different tasks to fulfill. The variety is ridiculous. Uh, you, You literally cannot even begin to understand how much is in this game. Because it is so deceptive. Like, when you look at a screen, you just, you can't possibly imagine anything good is under that. But boy, it is, <laughs> it, is it is amazing. It is fucking amazing. Um, the systems are so smart. Uh, they never use difficulty to barrier uh, barrier things away. Like, you can always get through something either by grinding. Uh, they let you grind whenever you want to. You choose to. They never make you do it. There are certain spots where it is obvious that it's there to let you grind if you want to. If you don't want to, you can change your equipment to change your stats. There's always at least two or three ways to get through every puzzle, which is amazing because uh, you know you may not be built the right way. So instead of just making a grind forever, you can just choose a different path and do something else. Uh, and on top of that, the writing is so funny. Like literally every line in this game is like a joke of some kind. And it's all funny. I don't think I've ever seen a game that has been so consistently funny with so many jokes that land, and that is so just smart and on point and humorous, I laugh like so much playing this game. Like, it is just a joy to play. Uh, These guys definitely are my kind of humor. I think it was brilliant. So many, I mean, so many good instances of just like amazing writing that um, were just so like, oh my god, that was great. I love that that happened. I can't believe they said that. That was so funny. That was so good. Over and over and over and over and over and over. Like, it never got old. Like, it never got old. They never ran out of juice. By the time that I finished the game, the final hour was as interesting and as funny as it was in the first hour. Like it was good all the way through. And by the time that I finished it, like I tried to do as much as possible. I did like every side quest. I did every task, anything anybody wanted me to do. I'm like, yes, I'm going to do that because it's going to be funny. And when I go there, it was funny. And so many things happened. And when I finally did like literally every single thing and there was nothing left, I was honestly sad, dude. Like I wanted more. (laughs) And you know me, dude. I never say that about any game. I never want more when I get to the end. I'm always glad that things are over. But this one, I would have happily put another 20 or 30 hours into. I thought it was just fucking great. Uh, Definitely, easily could have been game of the year. Easily. And it was my game of the year for a long, long time. But it did get knocked off the top by a game that was also incredible. But West of Loathing, I feel like, is is kind of like a must play for anybody who has a Switch or anybody who likes RPGs or anybody who likes funny games. It is a tremendous, tremendous work. And I don't hear enough people celebrating it. So please give it a shot. Check it out. It is absolutely worth your time.
0: I have probably asked you this before, and I'm going to ask it again because I cannot, I can't remember if I have or if you said so. But knowing what you know about my gaming habits, do you think I would like this game? I do not think you would like. It. <laughs> I would be, I would be shocked if you liked
1: it because I don't. I'm not sure that your sense of humor is the same kind of humor that this game hits. It is for me. It is very, it is hilarious to me. Um, but I don't know that you would find the jokes funny. And I don't see you playing a lot of RPGs of this kind. I don't see you talk about them very much. And I don't think you would like it just because I know you that well, because we've been doing the show for so long and the games that you click with. I don't think you would like it. So, I mean, you know, if you find it for a buck or something, give it a shot. But I I couldn't recommend it to you in good in good faith.
0: I don't (laughs) think you would care for it. But I think this game is fucking tremendous. Love it to death so much. I was afraid you would say that. If I ever find it really cheap, I might pick it up, but I'm glad you like it. I thought it was going to be your number one, but unfortunately, or I don't know if it's unfortunately or not, it is your number two for the year.
1: Uh, Such a good game, though. Such a good game. I wish more people would play it because, like, basically nobody's talking about it, which is a total shame. But anyway, (laughs) I have talked about it at length. Corey, what is your number two of 2018?
0: Uh, My number two of 2018, we can finally discuss this a little bit, is Hitman 2.
1: Okay, I was wondering if it was number one in number review for you. Okay, number two. Okay, great, great. You talk first, and I will add at the end. Tell us about Hitman 2.
0: I mean, I don't don't really think I need to spend a whole lot of time on this, because we have talked. We did a fucking four-hour podcast about Hitman and Hitman 2 um, when Hitman 2 came out. But, I mean, Hitman 2 is, it's like... It, just the fact that they've brought it back, that they, with Hitman 2016 starting off, that they sort of, IO Interactive brought the series back to sort of its roots, if you will, just giving us a bunch of giant, complex, open ended levels for you to do whatever you want to do. And then whether you want to, you know, take a machine gun in and try to murder everyone, although it's probably not the easiest thing to do because 47 is kind of fragile. Um, or you know, get in and get out without anybody being uh you know none the wiser about it i I just love that they are keeping the momentum of what they were doing with Hitman 2016 and really um you know just giving us a bigger batch of levels, giving us m- more stuff to do um you know more gear unlocks and everything and I mean, like, I know we talked about it on the show too, but just like the opening mission of Hitman two is like nothing short of a perfect level and true. Oh, man. And I just I and I actually I grappled for a while about whether to put Spider-Man in number two or Hitman two in number two. I was kind of flip flopping them for a while. And I think what made Hitman Two take number two over Spider-Man is the fact that and I've said it before on the show is that. Hitman 2 is still such a unique experience. There's very little else out there in the gaming sphere that's anything close to what Hitman 2 is like whereas Spider-Man, I mean, open-ended open world, uh, you know, go across the city, do side missions, do main missions, do side quests. I mean, those are a dime a dozen and I'm not I'm not saying that to diminish Spider-Man's quality, but the the sheer uniqueness of Hitman 2's gameplay, um, I think, is really what put it over the edge to take over the number two spot for me. And, of course, I am a diehard Hitman fan, um, you know, so that certainly helps, too. But even, like, pulling my fandom aside, just the fact that they're really sticking with it and, um, you know, really continuing on from what they're doing in Hitman 2016, which was fantastic, uh, is it really just kind of sealed it for me. I feel a little guilty, though, because I'm pretty sure in 2016, Hitman was my number two game of the year. And in 2018, Hitman 2 is my number two game of the year. There's always something that, you know, kind of pulls the rug out from underneath it where it doesn't take my game of the year. But I mean, number two is not a bad spot to live in, and they've done it twice with their past two games. So thank you, IO Interactive. Even through the turmoil of them losing their publisher and all this stuff, they still managed to put out a incredibly high-quality Hitman game, and I played the hell out of it. I had... Brad DMing me on a daily basis saying, Hey, are you gonna start your review? When's your review gonna be in? When are you gonna write your review? And I was like, wait, just give me just give me another 10 hours to play it. I'm still playing it. I'm still <laughs> playing I have to play the last level 10 more times, and then I swear I'll start my review. I mean, that's really like truly I like I don't know what else to say other than that. Like, I could not stop playing this game. All I wanted to do was come back to it, keep playing it, keep trying it, keep trying different ways to do the levels. I mean, Hitman 2 is not perfect. There's definitely things I would fix, but It's a fantastic game, and I think it's well-deserved as my runner-up for game of the year.
1: Don't disagree with the word you said. I love Hitman. I don't love him as much as you, because I think you were probably the world's biggest Hitman fan, but I am (laughs) right behind you. I I love me some Hitman. And I felt kind of bad for putting it at number 10, but at the same time, I wanted to make room for things that were new and different, and to kind of give a little bit more spotlight to other things. Um because I mean it's hard to say anything about Hitman 2 other than that it's more Hitman. But then again, it's peak Hitman and even when Hitman is just more Hitman, it's still Hitman, <laughs> so it's still pretty good. Um so I love Hitman, but I mean and this is the best it's ever been for sure and getting more missions is a treat and I will play this series for eternity. Like they could put out like one mission a month and I would play them like all the time. I would never get tired of it. I think hitman being basically its own genre it is hitman is the first and only entry in the hitman genre uh stands alone apart from other games i think it's great i'm glad it's still around after this time i mean i love hitman i got nothing bad to say about it i love it it's great it's great um happy that you picked it as number two uh and i'm i'm glad i made room for it on my top 10 i hitman's fantastic i think more people should play it um i think the only bad thing is that apparently like it's not selling very well Uh... i saw that it's been heavily discounted both in Europe and in North America. And it's just not getting the kind of traction that they were kind of hoping it would. So I'm a little bit nervous for them. I really hope that this is not the end of Agent 47. Um, so please, people, if you haven't given Hitman a chance, we love it. A lot of people love it. It got overlooked due to other games coming out this year, but it is super worth your time. Please go and buy a copy of it and support these developers because this cannot be Agent 47's last outing. We must get more 47.
0: Maybe if we frame it, I'm gonna try to frame this in a way that like all of like the dick measuring Dark Souls people will get in on it. So let me let me try like a marketing tactic for them real quick. Okay. So. Okay. Hitman, Hitman, and Hitman Two, they they're so difficult and they require so much brain power and they're such advanced games and difficulty and strategy and really planning what you want to do and executing it then maybe it's not selling well because everybody's just too stupid to play it and they just really need to get on its level and treat this like maybe they should bill it as like a really hard game you know like dark souls because that's like all the rage is like games where you just bash your head against the wall and play it so maybe like i don't know play this game because it's difficult and it requires a lot of planning and it requires a lot of like strategy and thought and you know saving and reloading and kind of trying to do things from different angles and you know trying different strategies and this kind of stuff so if you appreciate that kind of like strategizing difficulty in games maybe this is up your alley Um, I'm sad because I feel like every time a hitman game comes out it always seems like it goes on sale really quick and there's always a report of oh it's not selling that well Maybe that's because the games have remained pretty similar over the course of their career with, like, Absolution notwithstanding, but I I don't know. I I just wish I knew a way to, like, get people back into this franchise, because it's it's the best it's ever been, and I think people are just like, oh, yeah, another Hitman. Ugh, like, I don't want to play it. I've never been into those, but it's so good, and it pisses me off the more people aren't playing it.
1: I kind of wonder if people just don't even know what it is, because um, I listen to a lot of podcasts... Uh, from various people. And a a theme that I've heard over and over this year um, from different people, many different people, is that this is the first Hitman they've ever tried. So I wonder if a lot of people have never tried the series and they just don't know. Maybe they're afraid of like, they don't want to get in on like the ninth entry in a series and it's too late. They're not going to go back and play from number one forward. You know, maybe they don't realize that you don't really need to play the previous Hitman games to get in on this. Maybe they don't understand. You know, I, I assume probably from... If you don't know and you're just taking a glance at it, it probably looks like a generic third person run and gun, maybe, but which you couldn't be further from the truth. But (laughs) you know, I I, something that I heard was people were surprised, like pleasantly surprised. Everybody that tried it liked it. And they were like, Oh, I didn't realize like what a puzzle game it was, or oh, I didn't realize how much thought you had to put into it, or oh, I didn't realize how different playing it was than, than how it looks in screenshots. So if if going by these podcasts that I listen to is any measure, it seems like a lot of people have just never tried it and because they have never tried it they just didn't give it a try again and so they don't realize what they're missing out on. I think Hitman is a ph- phenomenal experience. It is a singular experience and I think every gamer should try it at least once just to say that you tried it because there's literally nothing else out there that's like it. So, hopefully people listening to this will give it a try. I mean, just just give it a shot. It's cheap now, which I mean, is probably not good news for the for the developer, (laughs) but it's cheap now. You can buy the whole thing in one go. It's not episodic anymore, which some people had a problem with last time. I mean, there's just with all the games out there and, you know, not to take anything away from other games that are winning awards this year and stuff, but there's a lot of real familiar stuff out there. There's a lot of stuff that is bigger, better, shinier, and that's fine. But, you know, Hopefully, you'll find room in your heart to give give a little bit of love to something <laughs> that is a little bit off the beaten path. So if you've never tried Hitman, please try Hitman. Just give it a shot. Hitman 2, 100% worth
0: your time. Absolutely. I could not say it better myself.
1: All right. There's only one slot left to go. The big enchilada, the big cheese, the numero uno, number one of 2018. Corey, do you know what I'm going to say?
0: I... I feel like I should know what you're going to say and as soon as you say it I'm going to be like oh of course that's what it is but I spent so much time thinking that Westerloathing was going to be your game of the year that that's kind of like what I had had locked in in my right. head um, but oh are you going to say Florence? I am not going to say Florence oh okay all right I don't that know. Would have been a, that would have been a very interesting pick, but no, I would
1: not have. Uh, no, no, not my pick. And to be fair, I don't know what your number one is either because I was thinking it was going to be Hitman 2, but then I was like, well, he's going to surprise me. And I was mentally reviewing what we've talked about, what we've gone over, and I, I have no fucking clue, dude. Yeah. I have no idea what you're going to pick as number one. And I, we didn't really say this at the top of the show, but uh, we don't know our picks. So, like, when we go into this show, I don't tell Corey what I've got. He doesn't tell me what he's got. So we're kind of surprising each other throughout this the show. That's true. We are hearing these picks just as you are hearing them, folks. Um, so, yeah, I, I have no fucking clue what you're going to pick. But I will tell you what my number one pick is right now. My number one pick, which I feel... If, if there was ever to be a perfect game, it would be very, very close to being a perfect game and one that I think is probably going to end up on my all-time favorites list. Oh, my God. Into the Breach on Switch. Oh, okay. Okay. Into the Breach. This is the 2D turn-based tactics game from the same people that put out FTL. It is a very small scope game where you take a team of three mechs and you fight giant bugs and you try to save these little cities. Um, The thing that is brilliant about this is that it is absolutely airtight. Like, the design has been thought through from every fucking angle. Everything about it is measured and correct and perfect. And it's brilliant because the game doesn't have any gotcha moments. Like, it doesn't pull any usual video game bullshit where they surprise you or the enemies have this huge advantage over you or anything like that. Like, basically, what happens is you know in advance... What the enemy is going to do. The game just comes right out and tells you, he's like, Hey, next turn, this enemy is gonna attack this thing, and this enemy is gonna do this, and this guy's gonna move here. What the fuck are you gonna do about it? And so you gotta figure out with your limited resources what are you gonna do about it? I mean, you gotta think things through. It really challenges you to use the most of available resources. What abilities do you have? What what you know, what weapons do you have, who's on your team, what kind of robots do you have? What can they do? And with a game that is so forthright and so open about what it requires of you, I just find it so refreshing. Like, it is just right there for you to do. There's no tricks. There's no secrets. It's just, can you do this? Can you play this? Can you make the most of this bad situation? Every team of mechs, and I think there's like 12 or 13 different teams of three, is wildly different than the other one. No two are the same. They all have different angles. Some are straight damage, some are Uh, range damage. Some are melee. Some are um, like displacement where they move things around on the map. Some are shielding. I mean, there's like every team of mechs does something different. And every time you play with one of these teams, it teaches you something new about the game. It shows you a new way to look at what's going on. And so once you think you've got it down with the first team, you go to the second team and you're like, holy shit, none of my tactics works. I have to do something completely different. I have to look at this game in a totally new context, in a totally new way. Uh, playing through with all the teams was incredibly rewarding and incredibly deep, like much deeper than you would assume from such a small map. I think each map is only like an eight by eight square, which is really tiny when you think about it compared to other tactics games. Uh, And you know, like the graphics are like kind of sixteen-bit graphics, and so you think, Oh, this is probably just like a real simple tactics, you know, blah blah blah, played a million of these. No you no, you actually haven't. You haven't played a million of these because <laughs> it basically stands on its own. I, I got so much out of this game. I just was so impressed by the variation between the mechs and how well thought through the mechanics were, the secrets that were hidden in it. I mean just the basic nuts and bolts of it. Literally, I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's basically a perfect game, dude. Like, I don't know what I would do to improve it. I don't know what I would do to change it. And that's not something that I say often. I mean, you talk to me about any game and I can be like, yeah, that was good, but I am the king of having a but and then, you know, talk about something that I would like to see different. I can't think of anything that i would like to be different about this game except for maybe just have more of it which i think is like the (laughs) highest possible praise not only do i not have criticism i wanted more which is another thing that i never say about a game i never want more i always have too much and this is i wanted more uh i i mean this is just it's like a masterpiece in every way like it's clever it's smart it's it's challenging it's fresh It had, um, you know, enough accessibility that you could get into it. It had a lot of options. Uh, I mean, it just, just the basic idea of it is just brilliant. Everything about Into the Breach, 100% brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. No complaints about it. I loved it to death. Uh, It literally was the only thing that could have even remotely knocked uh, West of Loathing off of its top spot. Uh, And it was, it was uh, a hard fought battle, but Into the Breach for me Is my best game of 2018, and I think will very easily slide into my best games of all time list as well. So,
0: dang, of course, I feel like a fool because I remember you talking about this, and then I forgot about you talking about it. And now that you're talking about it again, I remember you talking about it and saying nice things about it on a previous show. But I remember you saying so many other nice things about West of Loathing that that was just the one that was stuck in my head. But yeah, Uh, they're both fantastic, they're both fantastic games, absolutely absolutely darlings
1: and on the switch this has been a very strong year for switch i've been talking to a lot of people who were like eh, this wasn't a good year for the switch this was like a disappointing year for the switch and i'm like are you crazy are you literally insane how can you possibly say this was a bad year for the switch well there wasn't a lot of exclusive first party stuff so what like there was so much to play on the switch i mean not only is my switch backlog immense right now but the stuff that's on the Switch is so fucking good. <laughs> and so much of it is a perfect fit for the small screen and the portability. Into the Breach, perfect as a portable. West of Loathing, perfect as a portable. Uh, all these other games that I've played this year, and even more that I haven't gotten to. It's been a tremendous year for the Switch. I just... it blows me away that some people are disappointed in the switch oh yeah well i guess you know nintendo got off a good start but uh, i guess it wasn't gonna last i guess the switch is over i'm like i can't even i can't even get i can't even talk to people (laughs) like that i can't even deal i can't even deal Corey. so anyway tremendous year for the switch uh i think fully half of my list was switch games uh and into the breach and west loathing both fantastic but enough about me i have talked so much i am tired Corey motley We need to know. Inquiring minds want to know. I want to know. What is Corey Motley's number one of 2018?
0: You know what my number one in 2018 is.
1: I don't. I'm going to know it as soon as you say it, but I don't know what it is right now. I don't.
0: Mm, The, let me think about how I can describe this. Give me a clue. Give me a clue. The only game I played this year that not only made me cry, but several times over the course oh, of its fuck. short experience god damn it but you cry a lot though that's not enough clue how, dare, how dare you first of all Ah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, fuck i'm gonna kick myself really hard once you say it because i'm sure it's gonna be super obvious i'm sure the people listening are like oh my god come on yeah, brad it'll be this, this one thing, thing. Yep. i don't know what is it tell me tell me it's florence really yeah Oh my god! Okay, I'm surprised. I did not see this coming at all. I am I am very surprised. Okay, tell us. We talked about it a little bit, but please, please tell us more.
0: So, Florence, it came out on for iOS on Valentine's Day, and it came out on Android on mobile. It's an, only a mobile game as of right now. It came out on Android a month later in March. I don't remember if I played it right when it came out, but I know I played it earlier in the year. It has been my game of the year the entire year. It has never come down. It has never been replaced. It has never gone anywhere. And in my past game of the year experience, I definitely have a knack for finding... I mean, this isn't the first time a mobile game has been my game of the year. I want to make that clear. Um, But I have a knack for finding... Just like there's always that one weird kind of like under the radar indie game or mobile game or, you know, something like that, that'll just kind of like sneak in and take over my uh, my game of the year list. Um, I'm actually looking on my phone to see if I can find my old ones. Um, Like in 2013 to in 2012, The Room on iOS, I played on my iPad at the time was my game of the year in 2013. Home, A Unique Horror Adventure by Benjamin Rivers was my game of the year. I played that also on my iPad and it's on my phone. Um, In 2014, this is a little bit different, but like PT was my game of the year, which was like basically a demo for a game that never became a thing. So like, I'm no stranger to having some like off the wall, like short, often mobile experience take my game of the year spot. And Florence, that's what it is this year. So I talked about it earlier a little bit, but I'll sum it up again. Basically, Florence is about about a one to two hour mobile experience where you play as a young woman who is in her mid-20s. She's sort of like living her day-to-day life. She has a, like an office job that she doesn't really like very much. Her, her, she's just kind of, I don't know, in like a gray area in her life where she doesn't really know what she wants to do. She's not feeling artistically like challenged because she likes to draw, but she doesn't really feel like, um, you know, she hasn't been inspired, I guess. And she meets a man and they fall in love. And the course of the game is kind of like the story of her meeting him and them falling in love. And, uh, you know, just kind of like um, her experiencing like really like romantic, meaningful love for the first time. And maybe both their lives, but in her life and sort of how it takes her on this journey through her life. And, um, you know, there's stuff both good and bad that happens in their relationship. And a lot of the game is... Kind of like I mean, for lack of a better word, kind of like mini games, and I, when I say that it's not like fucking Mario party, but it's like every <laughs> scene is like its own little contained scene, and in some of them you'll be like talking to her mom on the phone, and her mom will be like nagging her about does she you know does she get a new job? Is she seeing anybody? Is she still single? why isn't she married? Why doesn't she have kids and those are the only sequences in the game that have actual written dialogue, um and then the rest of it it'll be like. I mean you like there's like a section where you like brush your teeth and there's a section where um her and her boyfriend like move in together and you have to like rearrange stuff on the shelf in order to like fit both of your things on the shelf um which sa- it just sounds really trivial but it's incredibly meaningful and just like the way that their relationship has its ups and downs over the course. And, you know, they have fights, and then, you know, they they get, they don't break up, but they, like, get back together and they love each other. But And I'm not going to spoil what happens, you know, for the whole thing, because it's, um, you know, it's such a short, like, experience. I don't want to spoil any of that. But um, there was, like, a section probably, like, three-quarters of the way through where I just, like, sat on the couch and cried for, like, 20 minutes because of something that came up in the game. And it's just, oh, man, it's just, like, a really beautiful, really universally, um, sort of like uh, approachable game. And like I said earlier too, it's the kind of thing that you could hand to your mom or dad, you know, that they can play on their phone. Or if you have like a brother or sister who doesn't play games very often and I don't, then they can still get into it. I mean, assuming that they're not some like dude bro that thinks this is some like, oh, like, oh, this is some casual feminist adventure. Like if it's that kind of guy, like they can fuck off, but this is like the kind of game that you can hand to anybody, and I don't say this about a lot of games too, but this is one of the rare games where I think you have to have a certain amount of life experience in order to really get the most out of this game. Because um, if you're if you hand it to a 13 year old, they're not going to have enough like emotional um, like baggage in order to really like process what the game is trying to say, and I. I've said that about very few games in my lifetime, and I think that's something that is really difficult to nail because you want your games to be acce- accessible to a wide audience. But I think what they make up for, and you know, marketing this game is like you know, one gender or one age group or whatever they make up for in the fact that um, you know, so many different people can play it. It just requires a certain amount of life experience to really get on board with it, and um I played it I sat on my couch and played it on my phone back whenever it came out probably in early spring it has not nudged on my top on my top spot of the year I kept waiting for something to come out that would that I would like more than Florence and I mean sure games have come out that have been you know 30 hours long that have been you know the most graphically impressive games I've ever played that have been maybe weird indie adventures VR you know this and that but this small like narrative, really like touching and romantic, um, and also like depressing. There's just so many different things in this game. The fact that they got it into such a beautiful, like short, cohesive experience that really speaks to a lot of different people in a lot of different ways, like we were talking about earlier. Like we had people write into the show and kind of give us their interpretation of the story. And it's not some weird, vague, like you don't know what happens. Like there's definitely a beginning, a middle and an end to the story. But the motivations around what people do in the game, like you could take different reads from that, depending on who you ask. And I just feel like that, you know, the developers have really like done the impossible here. Like they've made a perfect mobile game that has appealed to such a wide variety of people that just seems so like perfectly crafted. And yet it has a solid story, but it can mean so many different things to so many different people. Um, it's just such a beautiful experience. And I mean, I don't know what else I can say about this that I haven't said already. I know I gushed about it a long time ago on the show. You and I had a deep discussion about it where we had reader comments and your wife talked about, um, I mean, she wasn't on the show, but you brought her comments to the show after playing it. And Oh man. Yeah. It's just a game that is so, it just feels so special and it's just very mature, but it's not mature. And like, a blood and titties way. Like it's actually a deep emotional experience that you have to have a certain amount of life experience to bring to, to take the most out of it. And it's relatable in so many different ways and it's sad and it's happy and it's funny. And Oh my God. I mean, I might as well just go pick out a freaking engagement ring. Cause I feel like I'm proposing <laughs> to this game right now. I want it to be my husband forever, but I can't say enough great things about this game. I think it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And I feel like if you're someone who is into, you know, this sort of experience, you know, something that's more narratively driven, something that's more kind of tight and emotional and really has goes places, um, you owe it to yourself to look at this, to look into this game. And I mean, it's on iOS, it's on Android, it's only on phones. Um, If you don't have a smartphone, I don't know what to say to you, but Um, it's pretty accessible in that regard. I think it's only like five bucks or something. It's not expensive. It's short. You know, you can play it in one sitting. I can't say enough good things about this game. Um, I just love it to pieces, and I really commend what they've done, and I hope that the developers go on to make more experiences like this in the future. Agreed, agreed. Um,
1: I liked it as well. Not as as much as you, clearly, because it wasn't my number one, (laughs) but I do think it's a wonderful title. Uh, well worth looking at. I think most people who play games or who are even, if you listen to this podcast, you are exactly the kind of person that should check this game out (laughs) and see for yourself what we have gone on and on about. Um, I will not go on any further because Corey, you've done a great job of explaining why it is your number one. And I agree with everything you said. The only thing I will add to that is simply to go back and quote you, this is the kind of game that invites you to bring your own baggage. And I think that is wonderful. (laughs) I love that phrase and I love that quality about uh, Florence. I think that is such a rare thing in games uh, you know, doing something more than the I'm 17 and I'm playing a game where the 17 year old person saves the world and gets the girl with the big tits. I mean, that's, that's any game can do that. But in a game like this, where depending on what your path has been through life, this game means something different to you. That is a pretty rare thing for video games. And I think it's definitely worth celebrating. So I think it's cool. You picked it as number one. Congratulations on your top 10, sir. We got through it. That is the end of our official list of the year, that is 2018 for So Video Games. We do have one final segment before we go,
0: though. And this I have is something. I'm hold actually, on, hold oh, on. I'm oh, sorry yeah, to yeah, interrupt yeah. you. No worries. Yeah, yeah. Before we move on to the reader thing, I think it might be a value for us to just each go through our number ten to number one to remind everybody what they were. Yeah,
1: let's do it. You want me to go first? Or you want to go first?
0: Um, I'll go first. Why not? Um, so my number ten was Paratopic. Uh, On PC, my number nine was Paul Paul, which is a VR game on PC. Number eight was Welcome to Hanwell, which is on PC and consoles. Seven was God of War on PS4. Six was Far Cry 5, which is multi-platform. Five, Prey Moon Crash, which is PC and multi-platform. Number four is North, which is on PC and uh, Switch as well, uh, Xbox One, PS4, Switch. Number three was Spider-Man, which is PS4 exclusive. Number two was Hitman 2, which is on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. And number one was Florence, which is on iOS and Android phones.
1: Excellent, excellent.
0: Uh, For me, my number 10 was
1: Hitman 2. My number nine was The Council. My number eight was Unravel 2. My number seven was Celeste. My number six was Monster Hunter World my number five was hollow knight my number four was darkest dungeon my number three was metal gear survive yes it fucking was no i'm not kidding (laughs) number two was west of loathing and number one was into the breach there you have it there are our respective top tens excellent brad do you want to do the intro for our next section Sure, sure. Um, As is becoming so video games tradition, we went to our listeners and our Twitter followers and we asked them to contribute uh, their top threes of the year and one that sucked. Um, We were going to collate (laughs) the answers. I think that's what we did last year. But I got to say the answers were all over the board this year. Like if we had tried to like just kind of count them all up and do little hash marks and figure out what got the most votes, like Nothing would have gotten more than one or two votes. like it was really widespread, which I think is a good year, a good thing. Like it shows that uh, not too many games dominated the scene and our listeners had a very wide uh, palette to choose from. So uh, we will go through. we will read the name of the person who gave us their top three and their one that sucked. And if they have any other comments, we'll read those. A couple of these had to be edited for length, so I apologize if your comment got truncated. Uh, but we only have so much time and we wanted to make sure we included everybody's comments. So we didn't do a lot of editing, but there's a couple that are a little bit shorter, so apologies for that. Uh, But let's go ahead and roll on. Corey, would you do the honors of reading the first listener comment?
0: I would love to. This is from AdderBlack39 on Twitter. Uh, Best games are uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, Spider-Man and God of War. The worst is Shadow of the Tomb Raider, uh, which he says, he, I believe, I don't know if it's a he or she, um, a great franchise squandered. Uh, the best surprise was Vampire and Metal Gear Survive. If not for, oh boy, if not for your great podcast, I never would have given him a second look. So that's kind of a oh. humble brag for us.
1: See, that's the kind of thing that makes doing this podcast all worthwhile. I mean, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. I'm sure that I would do it regardless of whether we got comments or not, because it's just a joy. But when we get feedback like that, where people like actually hear the stuff that we say, people all around the world and listen, and and not only that they heard it, but they're like, you know, these guys have said this thing that's going to motivate me to actually take action in my life. And I'm going to go download this game or I'm going to go get a used copy of this game or whatever. That is fucking tremendous to me. That is just like, that is the biggest compliment anybody could ever give us. And I'm so <laughs> grateful that people out there not only listen, but that you know that they they think that the bu- bullshit that we spew is worth listening to, and that they <laughs> they take it to heart. Adder Black, thank you very much. That was amazing. I love getting comments like that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I am so honored. I'm sure Corey, you feel the same. Absolutely. All right. Next one comes from good old Drew Brew eighty two. Best Fallout seventy six. Also Monster Hunter World. And he says, loved killing a behemoth from Final Fantasy dressed as Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn with my Mega Man Palico. <laughs> yes. One thing I did mention, Monster Hunter has a lot of franchise crossover, uh, which is pretty neat if you like to play really dress up. The other best he mentioned, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which breathed fresh life into a stale franchise. Mechanics, story, and the characters all got a much needed upgrade. And he does not have a
0: worst of the year. Good. I'm kind of shocked that Fallout 76 is up there because that game has had nothing but controversy surrounding yeah. it since before it even came out. But I'm glad, I'm glad that somebody is enjoying it. I follow a few people on Twitter who are like undeniably in love with it. And controversy aside, I mm. damn thrilled that people are enjoying that game. So uh, I'm happy for you, Drew, that you're liking Fallout 76. I still haven't tried it. Maybe one day I will. Um, Next up is Daxter23Jack. This is one of my friends from Twitter. His best are Valkyria, Chronicles 4, Dragon Ball, Fighters Z, and Celeste. So he's got a little crossover with you with Celeste. And his worst is, I said, he could never get into Monster Hunter World despite it being heralded heralded as the most accessible entry in the franchise to date, which is interesting because you said that earlier. But even despite that, he could not get into it. And to be frank, when I played the demo, I couldn't get into it either. So maybe uh, Paul and I are in the same spot here. Yeah, you guys
1: aren't wrong. I mean, it is clearly by a mile the most accessible, but that's not to say that it's
0: accessible. <laughs> I mean,
1: they could still go further. I mean, I didn't really go into that in the section. But yeah, there's there's still more work to do. Uh, but yeah, I, I can understand him bouncing off it. No problem. Uh, next comes from Finder. Good old Finder. Best, Spider-Man. It had perfect characters. It was so much fun. It was a childhood fantasy realized. Also best BattleTech, fed my hunger for a strategy met game and had immersive world building. Also good Into the Breach, yay! Nearly perfect, tight design, creative units. Yes, I agree on all those counts. Good choice. And the worst Marvel Battle Lines, which interestingly I've never brought this up on the show, but I did try this this year. It's a mobile game one of the many Marvel mobile games where it's kind of like a card-based thing, but you also play like Connect 4 at the same time. It's kind of weird. (laughs) says, I was so into it until I hit a wall in which 95% of the game cards became pointless because there was no action card limit, and that was the meta. And when you get rid of the meta in a card game, you got no game left. So understood. And I, I totally understand why you bounced off that one. I bounced off it too. So
0: Corey, next one. Uh, Next up is Trashelvania, whose best were Celeste, Wondersong, and God of War, which are all games we talked about on the show this year, so that's exciting. Um, Worst is a game called Hollow, a generic first-person shooter horror game that was borderline unplayable on Switch in handheld mode, and I think I bought Hollow, and I think I've played it a little bit, but I I would have to go back and look. I bought two first-person like horror games on Switch very close to each other, and I can't remember which is which, but I need to, or maybe I don't need to go back and play it because <laughs> it says it's the worst. But um, I do think I own this, but I think I've only played it for like 15 minutes or something.
1: I remember when he was talking about that on Twitter, and it sounded like a pretty horrific experience. So sorry you had to go through that, Trash. You're a good guy. <laughs> uh, next comes from Zolbrod. He had the earlier categories, and he also contributed his list here. Best Astrobot. Biggest revolution in 3D platformer since Mario 64. And actually, I will say, uh, many people on the Game Critic staff absolutely love AstroBot. I'm hearing many people who've tried it saying it is like the year's best game. If you
0: play VR, Corey, this is definitely one that you should check out. You but do you have what? It's PS4 exclusive, and I don't have PSVR. So. I was just going to
1: ask if you had PSVR. I forgot which one you had. So, oh man. I but know. But that is one. Many many people are saying AstroBot is the shit this year, and it's on my list. For some unspecified time in the future when I finally decide that I'm gonna get PSVR, that time is not now, but lots of love, lots of love for Astrobot. Uh, moving on, second mention for Dragon Ball Fighter Z, most accessible and batshit insane fighter in years. Superb <laughs> meta. <laughs> uh, Zolbrod comes on the other side of the Monster Hunter fence. He likes it. Biggest quality of life improvements ever? Maybe. Still the best boss fights in the industry. That is definitely uh, a high point for the series for sure. Zolbron's worst, Far Cry 5. Terrible mission design. I am well and truly done with Ubisoft open world
0: games. Okay, this, not to defend Far Cry 5, because I don't think it really needs defending, but I'm kind of fascinated by this comment because I don't, I personally feel like the mission design in Far Cry 5 is not that different from like Far Cry 4, or Far Cry Three, or basically like any of the last like handful that have come out, and maybe they are, and I just don't realize it because I kind of played those games once and forgot them. So I'm kind of interested that he would say that the terror, the mission design is terrible because it seemed pretty like I don't know, like standard across the series for me, but maybe there's stuff that I wasn't picking up on. So that's kind of interesting for me. All right, read the next one there, Corey. Uh, This is from Michael London. Good old Michael London. Um, His best are Gree or Gris or Gray or however you want to say it. Um, Second is, I don't even know how to pronounce this, Deracene, which is the VR Soul game from the Souls developers. Is that correct. right? Correct, um, correct. Which I'm pissed because it's PS4 exclusive because this is another VR game I would love to try. But as far as I know, it's only on PS4. Um. And his last one is Into the Breach. So there's a little crossover with you. Um, Worst is Dead Cells was my worst game of 2018. I came to a point where I didn't make any progress and a game that won't let me finish is only frustrating. I can get behind that. Although I didn't play Dead Cells, but you did, right?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I'm glad to see him pick that because I thought for sure Dead Cells was gonna be my jam this year and I actually ended up really not liking it either um, for a number of reasons. I mean, graphics and controls are really cool but it just was really, really hard, like like crushingly difficult. And I don't think that all of the roguelike mechanics really made sense. Um, it was like the further you got, kind of the worse it got in some ways. And I just, it was a lot of work, a lot of effort for not a lot of return. I bailed on it pretty quick, but I do see a lot of people love this one, but I'm with you, Michael. I did not care for that one at all. I thought it was going to be great. And I just really, I bounced off it after like maybe like five or six hours. So uh moving on badger commander good old aj small from game critics says best death road to canada he and i do not agree on much but we do agree on death road to canada <laughs> he says just a delightful roguelike full of car- cartoon zombie murder pub g tense multiplayer experience where keeping a level head is key that is true i agree he also picks gene rain it isn't one of the year's best, but just, I just want you to read this on the podcast and groan again. Yeah, I groan. I groan at Gene That's people, people have been saying that's one of the Xbox One's worst games of the year, and I think probably even Badger Commander would agree with that, but uh, he took a shine to it for some reason. Also reviewed it on Game Critics. You can see what he had to say about that. <laughs> uh, and he says, worst, Monster Hunter World. My expectations were too high, and none of them panned out. Nothing clicked, and I walked away hugely disappointed. After hoping to play Monster Hunter for ten years, this should have been my game. Uh, but as we have seen, you are not alone in feeling that way, uh, Badger Commander. So you can at least have that solace. Corey.
0: Uh, next up is um, Vader von Odin. Vader Van is. Odin. Vader Van Odin, from the Dark Insight podcast. Yes, uh, good old Vader. Goods are God of War, uh, Der Racine, I hope I'm pronouncing that right again, and Spider-Man. And Bad is Sea of Thieves was a huge letdown. I really hated it, and I forgot it even came out this year, so there's that. I think a lot of people forgot it came out this year. Yeah, I think so too.
1: Uh, next one comes from Upsello, who has contributed to the show before. Thank you for all your contributions, Upsello. He says, best was Hitman 2, intricate levels with unmatched interactive potential. Uh, Also best, Red Dead Redemption 2. And interestingly, we have not talked about that on the show very much at all. Neither one of us,
0: I don't think either one of us even played it this year. Did you play it even this year, I I did not, and I probably never will.
1: I did not either. I have a copy of it here. I have not even touched it. Uh, I I have preconceived notions about it, and I will get to it at some point. That point is not now. But oddly, we haven't really talked about it very much from the readers, too. I thought we'd have more people uh, suggesting it in these comments, but not too, not too often. So interesting to see that. But, uh, Absello liked it, said it was the slow burning camp life simulator. So I guess <laughs> if you like hanging out around a campfire, maybe this is your jam. Also, he enjoyed the awesome adventures of Captain Spirit, the energy and inventivity, I'm not sure that's a word, of childhood <laughs> captured in a game. And he says the worst oh, well, the worst is also Red Dead Redemption 2. So he picked that as the best and he picked what? it as the worst. How? he, said, How did he do that? <laughs> he said the mission design sucked hard. And to be fair, most of the people who are on podcasts who I've listened to who celebrate Red Dead Redemption 2 also have many, many caveats that go with it. So I think there's a lot of people that love it, but uh, I do not think it is like a perfect game by any, by any stretch of the imagination if the people I listen
0: to are to be trusted. So
1: can't say myself, but that is a common theme. Corey, what's the next
0: one? Uh, next one is from bones jones i don't know who this is either um best is surprise this is like the trifecta red editor Two, god of war and spider-man um worst is far cry 5 it didn't suck but was definitely disappointing
1: you're right when you say the trifecta if you go to most sites it's rdr2 god of war spider-man that's like the top yep. three across the entire internet like you could just close your eyes and throw a dart and that's somebody's top three (laughs) next one comes from phil holmes good old phil holmes best battle tech the messenger and super smash brothers ultimate the worst nothing phil did not did not play a bad game this year so i'm happy for you phil good good year for you excellent
0: uh next up is a friend of the show and contributor uh Consistent contributor uh, Lou Pietro, uh, Celeste was his obvious number one. Uh, Crossing Souls is the game he liked least. I haven't even. I don't think. I don't think I've heard of that. Um, Fee was his pleasant surprise. His pleasant surprise. If I could read and speak, that would be helpful, considering I'm a podcaster. Um, and a way out is his almost great award winner. That is a good pick. A way out was almost good.
1: That game is another game that really takes a shit on itself at the end. <laughs> And there's some silly stuff. There's some really silly stuff. But I think that was a... It it was so close to being good, though. I I think it was a really good pick. Uh, Next one comes from Joshua Carpenter. Best 428 Shibuya Scramble, which I bought and have not played, but I've been hearing very good things about. Uh, Moss. And yay, another one for Into the Breach. A lot of love for Into the Breach, which is great. It makes me feel happy. Uh, Honorable mention goes to Yakuza Kiwami 2. Worst, Witch and the Hundred Night 2. I played the first one and it was trash. I'm not surprised to hear the second one is also trash. <laughs>
0: uh, all right. Next, next up, up is um, contributor, uh, pretty regular contributor to the show, uh, Shawnee Boy... Uh, Top three is Monster Hunter World. I love Monster Hunter. It's either people's favorite games or it's their worst game of the year. There's no like in between on it. (laughs) Totally, totally. Yeah. Hot (laughs) and cold, man. Big time. (laughs) So it's his, that's one of his top. Also, Into the Breach and also another Astrobot mention. Astrobot. There you go. Got to look into that Astrobot, man. He's popping. (laughs) Uh, Worst, um, I don't have one. I avoid this series. I avoid series that I don't like. Uh, So 2018 for games was. Great. What is WWE 2K? Is that like the wrestling, wrestling, game, game? Yeah, yeah, okay. wrestling game? Yeah, yeah, it's a wrestling
1: game. Next one comes from Chris Celogy. Says his best were Hitman 2, Spider-Man, and another one for Astrobot. Third mention for Astrobot Rescue Mission. Worst was, I'm actually surprised we didn't hear more about this worst, but I think people knew it was really bad, and so nobody even bothered to buy it in the first place, which is probably why it's not named that often. But worst was The Quiet Man, which I personally <laughs> think was terrible. For many reasons, controlled, awful, looked awful, terrible writing, uh, terrible concepts, terrible portrayal of people with disabilities. Everything about this game was not only terrible, but, like, offensive. It was offensive and in poor taste, and everything about it was actively, actively
0: bad. So good call, Chris. That is a terrible game for sure. All right, Corey, you got the next one there? Oh, boy, you're going to make me read Michael's. It's like paragraphs. Um, Michael Pren, uh, frequent listener and contrib- Well, contributes sometimes to the show, um... Uh, He said he was super busy this year, so he didn't play much from 2018, but his list from what he did play, uh, the best is Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus. When I read this, I got confused because I thought it came out this year, but it didn't. Um, In a world where we often feel powerless to fight monstrosities around us, butchering scores of bad guys can be vitally cathartic. Uh, Great incidental writing with NPC dialogue, too. Um, his next up is 20XX, which is a Mega Man X or Mega Man 10-inspired uh, roguelike. The game rekindled my love for the genre. I feel it's expertly tuned in many subtle ways, capturing the feeling of Mega Man while bringing a fresh experience uh, time and again. It only takes 45 minutes to beat, and he has played it for 100 hours. Dang. Dang. That That is is intense. That is some time, that is some time. Uh, Next up for him is Rogue Legacy. Uh, I actually didn't play it much, but my wife discovered it this year and it's the first game I've seen her really fall in love with in years. Picking it apart together and cheering together at each milestone she made with something special. That is very cute and heartwarming. That's
1: nice. That's sweet.
0: Yes. And his worst of the year is Persona 5. Uh, I could tell it was an expertly made game, polished to perfection. But I think 2018, Mike just can't get along with turn-based RPGs of any stripe anymore. I lost Steam on this one so fast and had to put it down after a few hours.
1: I'm right with you. I'm right with you, Michael. I haven't heard very many people talk about Persona 5 as the best or the worst, but I, prior to number five, I would have said I was a huge Persona fan, but I was real cold on number five. I just got tired <laughs> of it. Didn't want to put the time into it. Felt like it was the same thing over. And uh, I feel like Atlas is kind of coasting right now. So you are not alone in being a person who bailed from Persona 5. I am right with you, brother. Uh, next one comes from good old thief of hearts. Uh, long time game Creators fan, longtime friend, thief of hearts, best spider-man also best hero. You rogue to redemption. I have no clue what that even is. Have you ever heard of that?
0: I've never heard of this.
1: Never heard of that. Ro- <laughs> hero. U colon, rogue to redemption. No clue, but he says it's on PC Mac. Uh, I do not know, but I trust you. It's good. He's usually got good taste. Also good this year for him, Valkyria Chronicles 4. That's the second or third mention of that one. Worst for him, Crossing Souls. That's the second time we've seen that come up as a bad one. This 1980s kid venture should have gotten detention with its pretentious finale. Oh my gosh.
0: Nice little (laughs) pun usage there. I like it. Uh, Next up is Josh Tolentino. Uh, Best Spider-Man, Return of the Obra Den, and Into the Breach and Valkyria Chronicles 4 Tide. The worst is Punchline. Um, a note on this I'm actually, I tried Return of the Oberden because I heard a lot of people say, like, oh, it kind of snuck in as my surprise game of the year. It's really interesting. So on our next show, I will probably be talking at length about Return of the Oberden. Um, I didn't finish it, so of course it doesn't have any place on my top 10, but I'll talk about the ups and downs and whatever of it next time. But I'm actually kind of surprised that this is the only place it's showed up on our show because a lot of people I follow on Twitter have been like madly in love with it. So I'm glad that Josh liked it too.
1: Yeah, I've heard of it. I've seen it. Um, I think it being PC only maybe, you know, kept a lot of people out of it. Uh, also, it came really late in the year. I think probably a lot of people had their top 10 probably basically done by the time Oberdin came out. And so I don't think people were really looking for a rando Indy left field to kind of, Catch them by surprise, but yeah, everybody I've talked to has been a real big fan of it, and I hope that it comes to console or Switch soon because I definitely want to check it out. It sounds like something I'd be interested in, but I just don't play things on PC, so uh, that's why it's not on my list. I didn't check it out, but yeah, lots of love for Oberdin. If you played it this year, chances are you liked it. Uh, let's see, the oh, this one snuck in. The absolute last one in this category from comes from the. The, the mailman with calves of Steel, our good friend and yours, Joshua Jackson, the one and only. Uh, see, his best. Number one, Wonderboy Dragon's Trap. It's a remake done perfectly. Number two, Runner 3, an endless runner with so much style and amazing music. Number three, Shantae, Half-Genie Hero. And he, I asked for games that sucked or that were bad. He put down Shite, so I guess he's doing it one notch above uh, Sucking. <laughs> candle the power of the flame so i've heard of that one it did look like it did suck i didn't try it and i'm glad i didn't because apparently joshua thinks it's terrible but that brings us to the end of our listener contributions thank you so much to everybody who chipped in that was really fun to go through your list and to see what everybody played
0: indeed and also something i've learned from the segment is that i'm like the odd man out here because people's tastes definitely seem to line up with yours a lot because there was a lot of um mentions of games that you had had on your top 10 list and then here I'm like the weirdo in the corner who's like oh this VR game that's 10 minutes long is on my top 10 list that like nobody else has played so clearly the fan base for the show is residing closer with your taste of games than with mine but I'm happy to be here nonetheless.
1: Well I think variety is the spice of life man and I like things spicy so having uh, two (laughs) varied viewpoints is what makes this show worthwhile if we just talked about the same games every week and it was like you know me echoing what you were saying about everything i don't think that would be too interesting so i learn a lot from you hopefully you learn a lot from me we don't have to agree but i think that's what's great about our show and you know we we each educate each other about games that we ordinarily probably wouldn't come across and hopefully listeners will will pick up bits and pieces from both of us and we'll all just broaden our game horizons together
0: (laughs) that sounds beautiful Thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: Now, um, I invite you to bring your own baggage and bring the show to a close, sir.
0: All right, you owe me, I'm expecting 50 cents in the mail now. Uh, That's like 75 cents now. last one was I think it's 75. All right, I'll be waiting for my check in the mail. Um,
1: I'm going to take three quarters to an envelope
0: (laughs) and send it to you. Please do, I would love that. (laughs) Um, But yes, that brings us, everybody, to our end of the 2018 Game of the Year show. Uh, Fun fact our 2017 Game of the Year show is our most listened to show on SoundCloud ever. So maybe this will top that and it'll end up being uh, our number one listened to show. Maybe not. Really doesn't matter to me because I don't really care how many people listen to the show. Obviously, I appreciate everybody that does listen, but we're not in it to, you know, be like the biggest podcast on the planet. But I thought that was a fun fact to share. So uh, I hope people enjoy this one. Um, We've been podcasting for about three hours now. We did our pre-show housekeeping. We did our category awards. We did our top 10. read off some readers slash listeners slash Twitter followers top uh, three and disappointment. And now we're ready to bring it to a close. Brad, do you have any final words before we sign off?
1: Uh, The only thing I have to say is uh, this three hours has flown by. It did not feel like three hours at all. (laughs) We usually take a pee break in the middle of the show, and I was able to power through. So... The power of doing this show carried my bladder through the entire show, which is great. And it's just, I, you know, I, I, I don't live for this show because I think that we have a great time all year long, uh, but I do really enjoy loving the, doing the show because, you know, it kind of it puts a bow on the year. We can kind of look back at what we've played. We can see how things have sat with us over time. I mean, every show that we do is great, and I really enjoy doing every show, but there is something special about the Game of the Year show, and I'm really glad to see that a lot of people were excited about it. I had some people asking when it was going up, and we had so many people contribute their top threes, which is always great. I love to see the participation. So, um, yeah, putting a bow on 2018, it's great. I think we had a lot of really strong games, a really lot of diverse games. Uh, I mean, we did have the Trifecta, which is out and about in the review sphere, but there's a lot of other games out there. There was plenty to play, and if you didn't like the top three that everybody's picking, there was no shortage of other things to to play, as, as we have so clearly evidenced here. But uh, I am looking forward to closing the file on 2018 and looking forward to starting a brand new top 10 list for 2019.
0: Absolutely. I am doing the same, and hopefully I'll keep up with my list of games a little bit better this year. But when you add a PC and a Switch and VR to the list, it makes it harder to keep up with. But... Nonetheless, um, here we are. I'll echo Brad's comments and just say thank you again to everybody who's listening. Um, thank you for sending in your comments in your uh, top three and your bad game. And thank you for, um, if you recommended us to do category awards, uh, we thank you for that because we touched on all of those uh, earlier in the show. But I am ready to bring this home. Um, I am hungry. And Brad, earlier in the show, you talked about, I can't remember what game it was. I think it was the Council You said that the game has steaks, and I've been thinking about eating (laughs) the entire time since you said that. Have you been thinking about steaks this whole time? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know me, I'm always thinking about some meat. So uh, let's uh, move on and close this out so I can. Oh, dear, let's move on and close this out. Yes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Um, Anyway, anyway. But that's it. That's it. Moving on. 2018 to a close. Thank you for listening. Uh, Please remember that you can send us any comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas. Games you want us to play, uh, feedback on the show, anything like that. Um, There's several ways to get a hold of us. Uh, You can send us an email, sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments on the Game Critics website when the show goes live over there. There's a comment section under every show. Keep in mind, we moderate the comments over there. So if you post one that says, fuck you guys for saying, god of war is overrated we're not going to approve it because there's no use in publishing stuff like that on game critics so just keep that in mind um you can also catch us on twitter we are available as a collective show on twitter at so video games over there and you can also reach us individually on twitter brad would you like to give out your social media handles Yep. You can find me on
1: Twitter and Instagram. It's the same on both. It's my name. B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. All A's, no O's.
0: Excellent. And uh, my handles for social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, everything. Also my first and last name, uh, Corey Motley. C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And that's it. Brad, any final words before we go?
1: no final words just thank you again to everybody for listening thank you again for sticking with us uh if you've been here since the beginning because this kind of marks like uh i mean we're two years now right
0: uh i mean it's a little more games i think this is our third game of the year show but we've probably been doing it for about two years and a few months or something
1: yeah yeah it's been quite a journey we are still on this journey thank you everybody for listening thanks for joining us for another game of the year show and uh, let's do it again shall we
0: i would love to of course. but it'll be about a year. Mark your calendars, everybody. Mark when your calendars, year, folks. Mark every, your calendars. Everybody else in the industry does their Game of the Year stuff like December week one, but not us. So we let the year summer. We finish up our games. And then, you know, January week one or two is when we do our, our Game of the Year stuff, which is just the way I like it. Because I think it's way too early to do Game of the Year stuff before the year's even over. I think that's annoying. But I don't want to get started on that rant. Let's sign off. Um, we'll be back next week with a regular format show. There is no banter after the show. So keep that in mind. It's all... All killer, no filler, although our filler is sometimes killer, so take that what you will. Um, But next week, we'll be back. Regular format, talking games, banter at the end, all that stuff. Um, So if you're looking forward to banter this week, I apologize, but we did just talk for three hours, so that's plenty of stuff for you. Um, But that's it. That's the end of our Game of the Year episode. We'll be back with episode 114 next week. But until then, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. We'll see you next time.